Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. I'm Zachary Bader-Shamai. And I'm Western Mustangs, Eddie Merrith. No. <laughs> and what do you We want? are all Western today. Oh, what are, what are we going to talk about today, Eddie? I think we're going to talk about the epic B-Town that Mustangs put on your Griffins. That, yeah, that, that did happen. That's that, a thing. That was pretty brutal. Uh, okay, so yeah, uh, if you're listening, that means you've probably been following the OUA season this year. And if you've been following the OUA season this year, that means you probably tuned in to some extent, whether live in person in the uh, you know cold and wet and kind of windy London TD Stadium this past Saturday to see Eddie's Mustangs beat down on my Griffins um, and yeah it was it was ugly start yeah. to finish uh, it, yeah we'll, we'll get into it it's I don't even really have notes on it Eddie it was just like uh, well I, just, I can I can do a quick recap uh, Western scored and then they scored and then they scored and then they scored um, and then they scored, and then Guelph, yeah, Guelph scored. Uh, and then Western scored, uh, Guelph scored, and then Western scored, and then they scored. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, that, that sounds familiar. Um, so we'll dive into that with a, a little more nuance and detail. Um, no, that is the level of analysis you're getting here. Very broad strokes. I mean, it, it's, it's really hard to find uh, too much else in that game other than what Eddie just described. Um, and we'll you know set up, we'll, we'll take a look at the other championship games in the other conferences around Canada as well as set up for the national semifinal games that will be happening this weekend a couple well I guess really just the one I mean out east uh, we don't really know what's happening out east I guess based on standings you could call it an upset yeah I think Um, think that's considered an upset yeah uh but at the same time we we don't follow it enough to have sort of a nuanced take on that but definitely out west uh that game caught a lot of people off. Sorry, guard. and that that game we're referring to is the Saint Effects. Saint Effects, Saint Mary's game. Um, and Where's, then out west, I'd say a confirmed upset. Yeah, you know, a, yeah. Con- a confirmed upset. But having seen uh, the game between these guys, while well, there have been two, but having seen the first of the two games between these two teams earlier in the year, maybe not as big an upset as people assume. And I think we were both kind of taking for granted that Calgary would be moving on. So that's kind of on us. Yeah. These Sask Huskies are no joke. Well, hey, we'll see if they can put up a better fight than Guelph next week. Um, I mean, and it's not hard do. to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what we'll uh, what we have on the docket for this show. Perhaps we'll do some other things. Yeah, uh, you know, I think we're going to talk a little bit about the OUA All Stars. Yeah, yeah, uh, that the, came the... out and uh, previewing obviously Sask. We'll, we'll we'll have a look at uh, some of the All Stars from Ken West, and uh, well, we're gonna we're gonna preview the game. We're gonna preview the team. But we're going to talk about the major award winners in the All Stars, yeah. the things that sort of that caught our eye, maybe a little bit where we were right, where we were wrong, in our predictions. Yeah, the things that are yeah. a little surprising, and and well, and the things that are obvious. We're going to comment on all of it. Yeah. Um. So with that being said, let's jump into uh, the Yates Cup, Western and Guelph. So final score, in case you missed it, was uh, well, the final score is not really all that important. Uh, Western won. Uh, yeah, the final score is not important, but we do keep score. Uh, no participation trophies. The final score was sixty-three to fourteen. Yes, in Western's favor. Um, it, it's kind of unfair. Guelph actually scored more than fourteen points, but not all for. But but some of them were on yeah. themselves. Uh, the pick six and the two safeties in the first half were. Uh, I mean, a nice eleven points if you if you count the extra point that follows <laughs> the. Uh, the, tu- the, 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 the touchdown, yeah. the, tu- the pick six touchdown, which was not a very good throw. No. And that was Mackenzie Ferguson's third touchdown. Sorry, th- third touchdown. 
third interception in the last two games. Sorry, Mac, you don't have three touchdowns. <laughs> um, playing great football, but that was, I mean, I don't know if there's any making sense of that throw in terms of, I think it was overthrown into double coverage. And, I mean, I, that's that's how pick six has happened. Yeah, right? I, I don't even remember if he was under all too, too much pressure, which, you know, Theo, Theo uh, for the day, 12 of 27, touchdown one pick as eddie mentioned which got returned for six and then on the ground 10 attempts rushing for 64 yards but a lot of those rushes definitely weren't planned it just it it looked like you know we were talking earlier and it seemed like uh western's d-line really was getting after him but you know really thinking back on it, it it really started with that secondary when they were passing it just seemed like you know theo would have some time but then he's just not having anything open and that's obviously when you get the frustrating, the picks of trying to force something when it's not there. And of course, you get the situations where you're either going to get uh, a coverage sack or a situation where the quarterback is flushed from the pocket late into his sort of internal clock and maybe pick up a yard or two. Or Well, just... it's, it's Theo, and he is very fast. We can pick up more than a yard or two. And I was talking to some of the Western guys were, were saying he might be in straight line speed terms faster than Trey Ford. Oh, that's an interesting take. I don't know if that was – I don't know if that's if that's accurate. I mean, right. I, know, I know that's what they said, but, I mean, that, that doesn't sort of account for the agility and elusiveness of Trey Ford that, that sort of make him special. Yeah. You know, on top of his speed. Obviously, Theo is also, you know, fairly agile and elusive, but that might have just been sort of a, you know – a a bias towards the the most recent person they played. Who knows? All all the same, Theo is a very mobile quarterback. So that did present obviously a challenge. Yeah, and it's just so frustrating when you have everything well covered downfield and a quarterback can just escape and pick up a first down. But in this game, he unfortunately wasn't picking up many of those first downs when things were covered, which they so often were. And and you know, talking about quarterbacks um, being mobile. Switching sides now, I mean, Chris Merchant had, you know, a very good game for himself. And running the ball is something that towards the end of the season into the playoffs, we've seen more and more with Western do with with Merchant. And on the day, only seven carries, 66 yards, but, you know, three touchdowns and just more. It just looked more effective. I mean, let's be real. Everything Western did in this game looked more effective. And so maybe it's just when you compile all those things just everything looked better, even if it wasn't necessarily. But he just – he looked much better. Uh, he looked incredible running the ball. It's really – Well, he's very athletic. He's very yeah. fast. He's an underrated athlete for sure. And, I mean, maybe not anymore. Yeah. But one of those was even on a broken play. So even their broken plays look effective. He – he, uh, I, I guess between him or um, Cedric Joseph, they had some miscommunication on where the mesh point was supposed to be. Yeah, I remember so, – yeah. Merch had a nice play action to air or, or mesh action to air. Uh, but then he follows Cedric, <laughs> oh, who just man. didn't skip a beat and and uh, let him up through the hole and merch. Yeah, I mean he's he runs the ball hard, man. When he's... you're when you're so good, even your mistakes score you <laughs> touchdowns. That's just and that, that was the second long, and that wasn't nearly as long as the one against Laurier. But against Laurier, there was a sort of a a broken play fumble um, that he picked up and ran in for you know seventy yards. So oh, yeah, yeah. oh man, um, improvising, improvising. You got to be able to do it. So one thing, um, you know, if I'm for for your sake as a Western fan going forward and trying to lock up the back to back Vanniers, one thing that I know that you mentioned as a possible 
point of of concern perhaps with um you know star running back receiver Alex Taylor is sometimes ball security and we saw on their opening drive you know just marching the ball at will down the field and eventually leading to a Taylor run of I forget how many yards it was but then fumbles it through the end zone Guelph gets the uh g- gets the ball back um on the touchback I believe it was uh and of course w- with the you know as we progress further into the playoffs the weather's turning it's snowing right now as we record here uh in the six are you are you concerned at all with, with Taylor I mean this isn't necessarily a new issue perhaps He's the highly dynamic weapon, and the way they use him as a running back and as a receiver shows that. I mean, he's obviously he's an amazing player. He's had some ball security issues. It's not necessarily a new issue. It's just popping up right now. I mean, I like I know he can hold on to the ball. I'm just going to chalk it up to bad luck at this point. I mean, it, yeah. it's something he's got to work on. I'm sure he will. Like, he's one of those guys. He's going he's gonna to pay attention to the details. So, a yeah. couple weeks in a row where you see that as a problem. I guarantee you he's going to be spending a lot of time clutching a football tightly, yeah. high and tight, yeah. probably having it everywhere he goes. So, I like, listen, he's a great player. Yeah. No, no I'm doubt. not concerned about it. Uh, I think, obviously, they're giving the majority of the touches to Cedric in the run game at this point. Yeah. I don't know if that's reflective of a concern by the staff, but I, I doubt it, right? Like, he's a fifth-year, like, multi-all-Canadian. I guarantee he's going to have it right. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, like I said, I, I – Predominantly, I'm not concerned about how Taylor's going to perform into you know the national semi, into the Vanier if they make it there. But you know, not to spoil anything, as we will get into a bit of the SAS Calgary game. But a lot of what Calgary was able to, or pardon me, what, what Saskatchewan did to you know make that what we're calling an upset happen was turn over Calgary both um, interceptions and fumbles. So I mean, who knows? Just just a thought on that one, um, but just something to possibly to keep an eye on moving forward. Um, but as we said, it was definitely Joseph, as he has been getting all year long, the predominant number of carries. But this, you know, the aerial attack for Western, you know, Merchant 19 to 22, 324 yards, only one TD, one pick, but just gashing them with their screen game, which at times... It was frustrating as a Guelph fan this game because if you're going to try and make your give yourself any chance, you know, we talk about creating luck for yourselves, you know, a screen pass can be a risky pass at times. I mean, if that's a ball that gets batted down or batted up or picked, I mean, sometimes that's an easy six the other way. But it, at times I was almost hoping, like, if Guelph could force Western into trying to, you know, pitch it downfield a little bit more. Merchant, I don't, like, his. it shows he has a long of 39 not many long passes where the predominant number of yards were the ball traveling in the air. And yeah. they just gashed them in the screen game. A lot of yak, for sure, yards yeah. after the catch. Again, I think that's sort of a product of Guelph wanting to to, to play it safe and, and force Western to be efficient. And Western's proven they can be efficient, but when they can score in bunches because they're beating you over the top, that's when they're just... Well, I mean, that's, that's another... how a 63-point game turns into a 163-point game. I guess. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, because this this wasn't a game where you saw, I mean, really all that much offense from Western, I mean, in terms of in terms of plays run, right? Yeah. 22 passes attempts for Merchant and, and three for Kevin John when he came in in relief. 13 uh, rushes from Cedric, seven from Merch, uh, eight from Trey Humes, five from Alex. So a lot on the ground, but yeah. not 
still not like a crazy gaudy number of plays. I think only like 61 plays of offense from Western, which is low for them, I think. Certainly low, you know, from years past. I can I can attest to that. But they just were they were able to be efficient all day. Yeah. And there's really nothing that stopped them, and that shows up in no number more than 19 of 22 completions of attempts. So Merch only had three incompletions on the whole day. And this isn't quite factor into what people traditionally refer to when they, you talk about efficiency. But you know, another jarring number for this team, and this goes beyond just the offense, but defensively, special teams, throw in the sidelines uh, if you want. No penalties on the day for Western, too. Like, you want to talk about a team that was coming out with a mission of just wanting to put down a... Like, I was joking about this uh, when I was driving up with my dad on how, you know, at Guelph, we, we, you know, we beat you guys back in 2015. And then the year after was the loss to Laurier. Then the year last year, Western got their revenge on Laurier. And they did so with gusto, putting a beat down on them. So part of me was like... Okay, Marshall's taken out, you know, Laurier who got the best of him in that one crazy game. Now he's not he's not gonna he's not out here just trying to beat Guelph. Like I I like He's like Arya Star. He has a list. <laughs> yeah, he's every night going to sleep just reciting. The West those remembers. <laughs> oh man. But um yeah you had mentioned something in talking about how efficient Western was on the day that once again as a Guelph fan it's kind of frustrating that Guelph was kind of playing it safe, which just if you're just stacking up the numbers in terms of who you're putting out on the field uh, against this team, if you're just going to think you can trade punches with this team, that's 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 that, that ain't happening. You got to try and make some things happen whether it's trying to force them into some aggressive looks downfield. And yeah, maybe it works out in Western's favor and they put up more points on you. But maybe you force them into some bad passes. Maybe you get a couple picks on the day. Who well, knows, you know? It just well, Guelph has created their own luck, you could say, or they've been lucky, depending on your perspective. You either you either think that they are the cause or it's just sort of something that's happened to them against all odds. But when you force shorter passing, for instance, you have a better chance of getting defensive linemen hands up in the air and deflecting balls. That's That was the magic formula for beating Laurier. True. Six interceptions off of tipped balls. Yeah. You don't get tipped balls on on deep bombs, or you don't get you don't get them tipped at the line of scrimmage by defensive linemen. So perhaps there is a bit of a if we can force them to to throw short, we have a better mm-hmm. chance of getting tipped. I don't know. I'm yeah. just trying to give them the benefit <laughs> of the doubt because it didn't look like the game plan was really all that solid. No, they didn't match up as well as I thought they would. I mean, their defensive line I thought played a pretty good game in terms of making it difficult for the run game to be hyper efficient i guess but it still was efficient so uh you know it's 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 always a little jarring when so for guelph their leading tackle tackler doton akatepi is their free safety it's a bad sign. that's a really bad sign when your yeah. third line of defense is making the most tackles for your yeah team. if your free safety is is getting all the tackles yeah. that's a problem and you know what like uh, your first line of defense generally doesn't lead you in tackles either you're just that second line your linebackers and that was that wasn't you know, it's Job, it's Luke Coral who've been holding it down for Guelph defensively, and I don't, you know, exposed would be a gross, you know, m- misstatement of of the facts. I I think because I don't think that this game discounts what they've been doing all year long as standout linebackers. Coral led the league, led the led all of you sports and tackles. You know, a phenomenal athlete, OUA All Star. Job's a stud in his own right. Absolutely as well. An incredible athlete. But this is just Western with that offensive line, with their game plan, and with, you know, two absolute 
horses running the ball for them. Obviously, Joseph predominantly just, oof. Yeah, and they blocked it up well. I mean, they, yeah. they this is a pretty good-looking Western team. I, You know, if you think it's as good as last year or better, that sort of probably is going to depend on where you're sitting. You know, anyone could sort of have an opinion on, on which side of that is. I Personally, I think this team might be better because they just – they're really firing on offense. I mean, I guess they did last year. It's so hard to say, right? They're just yeah. such they're both such good teams. Yeah. They're they're good in different ways and I I don't know. I don't know how you can stop them if you're if you're Sask, but I didn't know how Sask would be able to stop Calgary. Yeah. And you know, I, I can't necessarily speak from experience in this regard, but it, it's interesting too to think about the mentality of a player as a team, you know, as a whole when you're Going for that Yates, going for that Vanier, you know, in the first go around, trying to just make it one versus going for the back to back. Because some people might talk about being lethargic. And I think earlier in the season, we kind of played around with some ideas of that of will this team be as hungry? And I think you were quick to shoot it down because of the vets they have on the team, knowing what it takes to climb the mountaintop, to plant the flag, do all those things. And so, I mean, it's such an. It, once again, not speaking from experience on one Yates Cup winning team, but to, to win a Vanier, I mean, I can only imagine the type of joy and jubilation, like what that must feel to be the last team standing in the whole country to go for on the back-to-back. I mean, you talk about the, the mentality of this team and the way they're clicking, whether this team's better than last year. That's a whole new motivational um, tool in your belt there. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, well, and it's about creating a legacy now. Yeah. And regarding you know where they were early in the year, it's very easy to let – a couple of things sort of fit a narrative that yeah. you want to build that sort of is is maybe cliched or or just yeah. something we would you know think to expect but you have to you have to sort of reserve judgment because you know football is a random game and there's there's always a zillion reasons why anything can happen when someone comes out yeah. kind of slow on the first game as as western did well, no, regardless of how small we may be here at the 55, like we're still sports media, so we're always going to throw out cliches of like, oh, championship hangover, or, you know, the team doesn't want it as much when it could just be, you know, to quote you from a couple episodes earlier, making a mountain out of a molehill. Mo- mo- um, yeah, sure, and, we did and, quite a bit. And there's a reason the cliches exist, it's because oftentimes they're correct. It, you know, <laughs> the Philadelphia Eagles. Sure. Well, and I mean,. <laughs> we won't get into that because yeah. I have opinions on that too. But <laughs> the, the long and the short of it is, you know, you can't discount the obvious explanation. Just when you have a little bit more information, perhaps you can sort of, you don't have to go full bore into sort of embracing that narrative. And again, I think this is a team that wants to have the legacy of being a back-to-back Vanier Cup winning yeah. team. They now, I believe, and I, I could be wrong, but I, it's not something they're paying a lot of attention to, but I believe they have the longest you know, regular season plus postseason winning streak going now in oh, wow. CIS history. Yeah. Either way, I know they don't care about that. They mm-hmm. care about the Vanier. They care about number two. So, you know, they have a lot of rings. I'm sorry, a lot of fingers to put rings on. <laughs> and um, I know, I know they're, I know they're very hungry. So, well, I was thinking about this um, towards the end of the game, where you know, not their last loss, but their last loss at home in London at TD. That must have been against Laurier in the eights, right? Yeah. Yeah, that would have – so, <laughs> I mean – Because well, about... they're undefeated since then. Yeah, so uh, talk about a hostile place to try and go into and take a, uh, take a victory. Um, but, man. Um... And that was one of those games where, I mean, no, not to not – to... 
relitigate the past and, and, and relive history that you know we don't need to. But that was just one of those games. If you remember, not taking anything away from Laurier, they had to play the most flawless, perfect game. And a couple very strange bounces happening. And in that very game. strange. Some bad know, calls. They were 100% on like eight or nine 50-50 balls. Yeah. And... <laughs> That's they have incredible players. Their skill receivers, their sorry, their skill players, their receivers were balling out of control. Yeah, and that's to be expected when you have great players. Even still, unlikely. So, yeah. I think I think this team, I think this team still remembers that game. They still remember what it's like to lose. I think I don't think they want to do it again. Well, I mean, and like we had mentioned, I mean that's that's what having those veterans on your team does. You know, never being satisfied. But it's it's funny, like on all fronts of this game whether it was forced by Western or not, they just seemed like Guelph just looked at times rattled. I mean, Gabe in his punting, like punting the ball. Just yeah, it looked like he was punting lead. <laughs> oh, it man. really did. I mean, no, but no, I, it's, I was yeah. sitting next to a, to a, a Guelph fan. who was just, you know, friends with uh, friends, friends of friends. And um, he was like, yeah, like uh, our, our best net punt in the first half was like 10 yards. Yeah. You know, why wouldn't we go for it on third down? And I, I tend to agree. You know, if it's mm. third and third and two, it wasn't the best game running the ball. I mean, if you look at the stat line for Guelph, JP had 20 attempts for 148 yards. 57 of those yards came on one play. And, and again, not taking away that one play, just was, yeah. that might give you a bit of a an incorrect sense of the level of efficiency they were running the yeah. ball. Well, it, to, just on that real quick, whether you, you know, T- keep the the 157 yard run in or take it out it's still the best running game a single back or you know any runner has had against western so yes. big ups to jp exactly and and so in that vein yeah. if it's third and two go oh, yeah you have to trust that offensive line to get you two yards yeah and and i like i said it all year i think they're a fantastic offensive line the more i watch of can west and i haven't watched any real laval games yet so far so you know, take this with a grain of salt. I do think the Can West offensive lines, and specifically Sask, are better, but not by a ton. Mm. And Guelph has to be able to rely on this offensive line. They had to. They couldn't. They did. I mean, they didn't. So, yeah. it would obviously it's bold to be going for it at midfield in the first half, third and two. But you have to be bold to beat Western. As in, so exactly, exactly to what I was no, saying. Obviously, earlier, no? you know, there was. <laughs> There was no instance. There was you could play this game over twenty times and Guelph doesn't win any of them. Yeah, maybe if you get into like the forty fifty range, Guelph wins one. But that would have been the recipe. Yeah, is is going for it on third and two every time. And especially, especially especially in light of just Ferraro not being able to punt very effectively yeah. today. And you know what, like. Western won this game on and off the field because the section of Guelph fans I was sitting in. The uh, the Western cheerleaders were, uh, were were not shy in coming over and strutting their stuff, not only in front of the Guelph fans, but right next to the Guelph cheerleading squad and thoroughly putting them to shame as well. So, I mean, if, if there was a scoreboard amongst the cheerleaders, that would also have scored out approximately to a 63-14 to 14 beatdown by the cheerleaders as well. And I don't know if it's current, but I, back when I was at Western, I heard that the Western cheerleading team would just win nationals and, like, international competitions every year for the stuff oh, they could do. damn. 
Okay. And I mean, and, and they showed it. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're aggressive. I loved it towards the end of the game. They're saying, what do we want? Six points. When do we yeah. want it? Now. Oh, man. It, and I'm like, they can just know. What do we want? Well, to get out of this game injury-free at this point. When do we want it? As soon as possible, please. Yeah, just run the clock. No, yeah. <laughs> they, they, It was getting chippy at times and, like, really awkward. They were coming over and doing, like, a go, Guelph, go, get off the uh, get off the field, get on the bus, go, go. And just Guelph fans are just standing up, arms flailing, like, oh, you, this, and... And the cheerleaders just blowing kisses at them. And, you know, uh, I, not to oh, get into any of that That's stuff. great, I approve. We need you know, TD to be hostile. Yeah, well, you need, you need more people to truly be uh, hostile off the field, I think, because, I mean, yeah, it wasn't a great day out there, but I was still hoping it would be a better turnout. I mean, that's like kryptonite for, for football. It's... It was like slightly. It wasn't just above freezing. There was water on the seats. It was cold. It was windy. Oh, don't! I hated every second of that game. Even I got a sunburn. I got a or a windburn. I don't know what it was, but after <laughs> the game, I looked drunk. I mean, my face was all red. It was brutal. Were you drunk? I was not drunk. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I didn't drink. <laughs> uh, well, during the game, I didn't drink. No. Fair enough. I was trying to watch the football game. Yeah. I wish I, I wish I had drank because it wasn't much of a game. Maybe made it more enjoyable. Um. Yeah, what like I don't know, where do we go with this one? Like it's kind of the funny thing. It's just it's just such a categorical beatdown that like Well, not... and I think Guelph is sort of the team of fate in a way. Yeah. Uh and sometimes fate serves up a sacrificial lamb. And Guelph, you know, they they had a pretty big uphill climb to get here. Yeah. To get to the Yates. They didn't really deserve to be in the Yates. And I mean, what do you mean by that? I, I just mean as a team, they're not they weren't you know, they were there was they were, they weren't multifaceted on offense. Mm. They were good on defense, but they weren't so good on defense that you know, they didn't present a challenge. You look at the game against Carlton, Western Carlton that is, thirty nine to thirteen. Could have been could have been closer. Yeah. Definitely could have been closer. And Western really only pulled away in the second half. Yeah, and it was actually it seemed like in that game it was a result of some bad breaks. Or not say bad breaks, but it was Carlton turning the ball over at unfortunate times. Western capitalizing off of that. Western capitalized purely off their own talent in this one. You know, so yeah. like that's it's it is interesting to well and, and off Theo's you know terrible interception. Sure, but it, it yeah. sort of is all for naught, right? I mean, you can't really you can't really blast the guy for for I mean trying to throw it downfield. It, that's not the place to throw it into double coverage, but. Well, I can't. I can't. It's Western. You got to be bold, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I can't. I can't. I'm not going to use the word bash, but I can't say that the defense should have tried something a little more exotic or whatever to force Western into an uncomfortable position, and then say that Theo shouldn't have been trying to make something happen in the area. So I can't. I can't play both sides of that coin. So you know what? He threw the pick. It didn't work out, but you had to take some shots down the field um, in that instance. But but when but when you can throw the ball, when you can have 27 attempts yeah. for 12 yards and have that net you 69 yards. Mm-hmm. Right, that's just like, there's really no hope there. I mean, just you look at the receivers on the day. I mean, Cade had seven catches, 37 yards. Kean, three catches, 23. Got a touchdown. Zeph, one catch. JP, one catch. Lost two yards on it. And I talked to Bleska Kambamba after the game, and he was upset that Zeph had that one catch. <laughs> Bleska was like, oh, no, you know, we could have played better, that one on Frazier. I'm like... That's one catch for 11 yards. I think you did okay. Zeph versus Bleska is one of my favorite matchups of the year just because, like, two of my favorite names, like, going up against each other. Zeph Frazier, Bleska Kambamba. Like, oh. boom. You got to love it. And both great players, obviously. No, Oh, of course. I mean, no doubt there. Um, 
the thing though, like talking about whether Guelph deserved to, you know, have been there in the game, it's it's still for me the, the way they got in and the way they got there with those two the two back to back games of Waterloo. I mean, maybe we can revisit later and, and kind of I guess maybe that was more of a statement on where Waterloo or how maybe some of the things that Waterloo didn't do well as opposed to you know, some of the ways Guelph dominated or things they were doing well. But that, I think, for a lot of Guelph fans, gave a lot of hope. It seemed like one of those moments where, you know, things are clicking and they're clicking at the right time. And it wasn't necessarily anything beyond what players on this team were capable of because there's a ton of talent on this team. I mean, the OUA awards kind of validate that a little bit, predomin- a little bit more so in terms of the younger talent if you look at the rookie team. But, it, you know, in those two games against Waterloo, they, you know, specifically on offense – you know, maybe the guys were playing a bit above their averages, but not to the degree where you. Were, I think at least I was saying that. Okay, this is purely a fluke. It might be a little unfair to say they don't deserve to be there. I guess they had an easy regular season season schedule and still yeah. just squeaked into the playoffs. They played well down the stretch for them. I guess. I guess the truth is, is really no one was in Western's territory this year, yeah. and that's something we were concerned might be the case at the beginning of the year and towards the middle of the year that ended up being completely true yeah no one really could give them a challenge at least when they were firing you know obviously the close games against Carlton and Queens but it, it it's just tough it's tough it's tough to reconcile a championship game that is <laughs> so lopsided yeah right this is just it's not good for the OUA no I mean there are lopsided games in every league, but a championship game? Yeah. And, I mean, it wouldn't have been unlikely to predict this outcome, right? You're like People people were thinking this might happen. Yeah. You know, like, we were thinking it might happen. <laughs> I heard I heard a, a former uh, coach who used to be at Western say, um, yeah, Western by 70. And I'm like, okay, well, obviously that's an exaggeration. Western could have won by 70. Yeah. Right, if not for that Alex Taylor fumble, that was a a seven point play because they didn't even they don't even get a one point out of that that fumble early. Yeah, yeah. and then those 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 two Guelph touchdowns. The JP one was kind of a broke not a broken play, but it was like well, I mean, it's a sixty yard rush. Yeah, and then the the quick touchdown drive before half mm-hmm. by Guelph. I mean, well executed. Can't take that away from them. Just. I could see an outcome where this game was even more lopsided. Yeah, there were, there was some kind of sense of hope after JP's touchdown in the second half, until Western responded right after with a touchdown of their own. I mean, it's just was there really? I, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Because it, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I, I, that's a great way to start a half, right? You end a half with a touchdown, you start a half with a touchdown. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and yeah, it was on the Merchant. Yeah, one of Merchant's touchdown, a 13 yard run. It was just ah, at least. You know, once again, not, not taking away from anything Merchant can do running the ball. Like it's it's just it shouldn't surprise anyone at this point if it ever did. Uh, I mean, I'll I'll admit like I didn't realize he was as good a runner. You know, when he started running the ball a little bit more towards the end of the season. But it's like at least to have it be like Joseph like running it in for a touchdown or you know McMaster. Well, he did that too. He did that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man. But you know, say la vie. Um, I and so I guess to. to touch on something that we uh discussed in our last episode in terms of uh with us both um representing these two schools as our alma maters was that there was going to be a consequence for uh one of us 
<laughs> yeah, I didn't want to force you into a corner too much because I realized, <laughs> I mean, I think I, I would have had odds. I think I would have had some kind of odds. You'd have, you'd have had to have had like a, I mean, it'd have to have been like twice as bad a punishment or three yeah. times as bad a punishment for me. And yeah, I didn't really want to commit to that because, you know. <laughs> So well, what is it? What's the punishment for you? I think we we're going with the uh, the purple hair. Yeah, yeah. There's not too much of the hair left on the head as is. Oh, I know there's plenty down the there, center. Yeah, yeah, down the center. More than is. me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a, well, that's why I would have needed the odds because if I was da- well, your hair, your beard's already pretty much red, anyways. I mean, like <laughs> it could have gotten a little redder. Yeah, we could have. So uh, we'll, we'll, I'll get that done uh, in the next few days, and we'll get the picture up on the social medias and whatnot. Uh, oh, the purple hair. No, yeah, maybe I'll. Sh- I'll, I'll sh- no, I'm not going to put any – no. I was thinking to put the W or something to oh, the side. Oh, you should do that. Oh, that'd be great. I don't have, I don't have the steady hand nor the uh, technology uh, capable of pulling off such a maneuver. <laughs> There's a barber somewhere who could do that. Yeah, but that costs money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We're a low-production <laughs> outfit here. <laughs> we can't break the budget no. with that. Um, I guess – oh, man. I, I, I think that's a – rap for this game like what yeah, else it's, could, it's yeah. tough to talk about this game yeah for for really more than any time we have because there's just it was so dominantly one-sided it was uh, yeah yeah so moving on yeah that yeah that that ends the oua season um which of course this has been and will continue to be your home for oua football but you know thanks to the western mustangs we'll obviously an oua team was going to be advancing regardless of whether it was guelph or western but on the shoulders of the Western Mustangs, we will be pushing forward to, uh, you know, see this Banya Cup playoff run through and to see who ends up as the champion. So, yes, uh, as you alluded to, uh, let's move on. So, the Hardy Cup was held in Calgary this weekend uh, against Saskatchewan. Well, Calgary was hosting Saskatchewan. The final score, 18 for Calgary, but 43 for Saskatchewan. The underdog. Damn. Yeah, they came yeah. to play. It was a pretty even first half. I was watching the film because I want to see what the matchup's really looking like and against against Western, that is. And you wouldn't know from the first half that this would be such a lopsided game. There were a few, a couple interceptions in the first half. Well, two or three, I forget. but And of Sinagra, that is, rather. So, okay, big plays. But also there was a blocked punt that Calgary had against Saskatchewan that set them up for a score. And it, it sort of looked like this would be a bit of a back-and-forth game. Mm-hmm. The stars for Saskatchewan were sort of predictably Tyler Chow and Colton Clawson. Tyler Chow being, uh, you know, the veteran running back. He's been, I don't know, I think he's been an All-Canadian. He's a very, very good player. He ran the ball extremely well in the second half. He ran the ball well in the first half but didn't have as many touches. I think there was about 50 rushing yards in the first half for Sask. But in the second half, he really turned it on to finish the day with – 222. Damn. On 24 attempts. Good for a 9.3 average. Two touchdowns on the day. Yeah. And it just felt like in the second half, every run was like 10-ish yards. I mean, it was it was really impressive. This yeah. wasn't, you know, his long on the day was 38. He didn't have a ton of, th- you know, he didn't have like multiple other 30-yard rushes. There were a lot of, you know, 8, 12, 20-yard rushes. And it was really impressive because they just, once they got the lead, they really didn't look back. The first half finished out 18 to 15 in in Saskatchewan's favor, uh, and then they scored in the second half. You know to to open it. 
uh, sorry, not to open it, rather, but it was, it was a few minutes in. Um, in fact, it was 12 minutes in, almost. And then the floodgates kind of opened. So they had that. They had um, a Tyler Chow touchdown after that. And then there was a Rouge. And then they had a field goal. And then they had another touchdown. And all the while, Calgary just could get only a field goal in the second half. So, yeah, U Sports and just Canadian football Twitter in general was a very interesting place to be uh, perusing while this game was going on. Because definitely a lot of people, uh, uh, not just ourselves, were, uh, you know, couple eyeballs popping out of what was going down in this one well when you have a team that's been efficient all year and they throw four interceptions and lose three fumbles good for seven turnovers and then on the other side you have one interception from saskatchewan they fumbled the ball twice but they recovered them so no fumbles lost Mm. you know when you have a seven to one turnover margin and i guess you could count the punt the blocked punt early in the game as a turnover yeah I mean, functionally, that's what it was. A very costly one, in fact. Then, you know, 7-2. to But 7-2, to that's you're never winning a 7-2 to turnover matchup game or turnover um, margin game. Yeah. So the results kind of speak for themselves. The Simeon's pick also, it's an interception, but there are interceptions that are interceptions. This was very deep down the field. And it put Calgary on their own one-yard line to start a drive. Not Saskatchewan's one-yard yeah. line. They had 109 yards to go. And on that very next play, Sanagra threw an interception. And interceptions come in all different shapes and sizes. This one was a 14-yard interception or a 13-yard interception. So Calgary had the ball in striking distance. Or Saskatchewan. Sorry. Yeah. Saskatchewan had yeah. the ball in, in striking distance of Calgary's end zone. Yeah. So the timing of the interceptions were, you know, not all not all turnovers are created equal. Devastating. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So Saskatchewan's a really nice team to watch. Like you watch their offense and Canada West offenses are a little different. They're very often running out of five receiver sets. You know, five receiver, one running back, yeah. obviously five offensive linemen and a quarterback gets you to twelve. So and you know, a one back set is an interesting thing for defenses to deal with. And it'll be an interesting challenge for Western because in the OUA we just we tend to Run with fullbacks and Guelph Guelph tight ends. Yeah, yeah. H-back, H-back, fullback, kind of the same thing. And, you know, involve more people in the box. And that's certainly what Western does. Well, Western, their linebackers, obviously, you know, the the nucleus very much of that defense. Yeah, exactly. And you'll have them sort of out in space having to cover guys like Colton Clawson. Colton Clawson might be the best player for Sask. I mean, it's, it's him and Tyler Chow who you watch and you're, you're thinking, wow, like these are very good players. Colton Clawson's kind of an interesting one because he's, I guess you would call him an H. So he's kind of like a fullback. He's about 5'8", 200 pounds. And he's built like a Brinks truck. I mean, he is, this guy is, is, is stacked. And the way they use him, though, is like a true receiver. So he's an H. He'll be in the box. He'll be matched up against backers all the time. And he'll burn them. And in this game, he did just that. He had a 53-yard long reception, about 20 of that coming after contact because he he burns his guy deep. And there may have been – I mean, Calgary's kind of interesting because they they were playing a decent amount of zero coverage. Uh, They would sort of show radar or sting, which is when you're going to plus one and be in zero coverage. So you're going to send one more defender than the offense can block. Yeah, we've seen a lot of teams in the OUA using those. 
Yeah, that's common. But then Calgary, the the only wrinkle for them is they would drop one guy when they sort of realized how the offensive line was going to block it. They would they would drop one guy, so they'd have one extra guy in a sort of a mm. in a in a close zone kind of coverage. Right, right, right. I think preferably they were they were trying to put it towards where they assumed the hot read would be, so they have just a chance of disrupting the hot read for an offense. Which is smart because again, when you're getting plus one, you need to have get someone you can get. You yeah. need to have an outlet. You need to have someone you can get the ball out too quickly. And it seemed as though Calgary was was doing something interesting to disrupt that. The issue is, is <laughs> if the outlet pass is not really an outlet pass, but you just go for the deep bomb. Yeah. And you have someone beat in man coverage in zero man. Well, well that's dangerous. So that was that was how Colton Clawson made some money on this day. Well, it's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, when you mentioned uh, Calgary trying to find. You know the hot read in there for a defense, and you know obviously this is going to change from team to team. So I don't know if, how much you'll be able to speak to this, but is that just a matter of like watching film and seeing how teams react to seeing pressure at the line and where those sort of safety nets are? And because if that's the case, you'd think that did SAS come into this game thinking, okay, all year long, in the face of pressure, we've shown you know dink it over the middle or on these outlet passes, and we're gonna just forego all that to kind of give Calgary just no sense of what we're going to do. And just, if they give any pressure, we're just going to throw it up deep. Well, I mean, yeah, throwing it deep against plus one pressure or against, you know, an unbalanced overload pressure is, is, that's a pretty bold thing to do. I don't know what SAS game plan was. I don't know what Calgary's game plan was, but I do know that if you're thinking about a hot pass, thinking about the hot read on, on a plus one or on an overload blitz, you're probably thinking, to the boundary side because it, that'll the typically shorter. be typically be a shorter yeah. throw. I mean, you could go to the the field uh, slot receiver. You know, be that in this case, someone who was running deep on that particular play that I'm talking about, Colton Clausen, who was playing at yeah, H. But a quick out, a quick in, a quick uh, a quick stop, or just something short to that side of the field. Yeah. If you have someone in zone underneath that, you know, whatever that pass is, you have you have a decent chance of disrupting it. So. Yeah. I don't know necessarily, sure, yeah. you know what what Sask was was planning, but you know they they were not throwing to those what I would assume would be most likely to be the hot reads. Gotcha, yeah. And we saw that we saw that a bunch of, from Calgary on the day. It was an interesting coverage. I mean, because I just it's a variant of of plus one and plus one radar staying whatever we want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, and people people call it different things can be very effective, especially against 5R, where you have a very short edge, right? One of the things with plus one, if you do bring everyone, the free man off the line or the free man who's unblocked on the defense, if you have, say, seven guys in protection, he's coming around a longer edge. If you have a tight end at the line and a running back up at the line, you have a free person coming from greater distance. Ideally, that's what you want as from the offense, right? Ideally. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the way to most effectively slow down sure. plus one and then just win the one-on-one wherever you have it and you have more space to do so. There's, you know, just fewer people clogging it up downfield. Um, yeah. But against against 5R sets, you really do have a chance to, um, to, to get a short edge. And in fact, the plus one, the way they had manipulated at Calgary, they were getting pressure even not off the edge, but through gaps. So they would have their offensive line locked down. Still guys getting through. And you'd have and yeah. you'd have a guy get through. So that kind of interesting good. stuff. <laughs> Sask on the day, I mean, I, I saw there was a variety of coverages played. Obviously, everybody plays 
tons of stuff. They they, they had you know man like cover one man, and they had uh, you know they play even cover four, and it was interesting because Calgary they want to take shots downfield. That's what they've done all year. Mm-hmm. Their deep, their vertical passing has been effective. Their passing in every facet has been effective all year. That's how you throw for 3,200 yards, a single-season U-sports record uh, in, in Sinagra's case, in Calgary's case. But it was that deep, those deep quarters coverage that you know, was a problem because they just, they'd have enough guys back there. I mean, that was the first pick of the game was off of that um, four-deep coverage, and they were trying to you know, get multiple verts and – and you have enough guys deep, you're just not going to be able to do that. And, and, and what's so interesting is, yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, Sinagra being able to, you know, send it deep all season long, getting the 32, 3,200 yards on the season, but only throwing five picks in the process of doing that in the regular season. So once, and, you know, one of those opponents being Saskatchewan, they they faced earlier this year. So, I mean, it's it's not as if, kind of how we talked about with Guelph Western, maybe if Guelph was able to force Western into going deep, that could have put them, you know, maybe created some bad balls or you, if, you know, create a situation where maybe they got turnovers on Western. Um, it's, it's, it's just, it's interesting. It just seems like, you know, Calgary was kind of just playing their game still, like going deep, taking shots, but it just, yeah, Sask just stepped up. Yeah, and, and they have they have players. I mean, Sask is a team that we don't see a lot of. Well, OUA teams don't see a lot of. I know every so often we have exhibition games in the preseason where we you know where Sask figures, um, but you know Calgary not so much. So again, like we're we're largely in the dark with the Can West, but it's important to know like <laughs> this is a great conference. And it's a conference that has been pass happy all year. Mm-hmm. You look at UBC, who Sask had to beat to get to Calgary. Yep. They can throw the ball downfield. Calgary can throw the ball downfield. Regina can throw the ball downfield. When Picton's playing. <laughs> when when Picton. But you know what? Even when he's not playing, they can still they can still pass true, effectively. True, true. They're they're largely spread offenses and sort of more standard CFL looking offenses than what we see in the OUA, which is more run happy. Right. Typically. Yeah. But Sask is the one team that you would say. Yeah, they're truly balanced. And it is really interesting that the one team that's balanced made it out of the conference because, you know, as you've said, when the weather gets uncomfortable in the later mm-hmm. parts of the year, which it certainly does in Saskatchewan and Calgary. And even in London. <laughs> well, and even in London, but even more so out west. Sure. Being able to run the ball is a great advantage. So yeah. it was very mm-hmm. interesting to see that. And it definitely bodes well for the matchup against Western. And there's no condition that, Sask will there's no condition that will exist in London mm-hmm. that doesn't help Sask at this time of year. I mean, if it's a gorgeous, you know, unless it's like a 10 degree sunny day, Western's balanced too. Right. But Sask, I think, you know, they're probably even more likely to just continually pound the ball. Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting occurrence that you probably don't see all that regularly. You know, maybe it's one team can handle weather good or bad. But that the uh, their opponent will maybe okay now they're gonna have to run the ball when that's not their strength or now they gotta pass the ball and that's not their strength to have two teams that can equally just say, all right that's fine we'll go to our, the next option and we're okay with that it, you know has the makings of what I think most OUA and Can West watchers or just Canadian football sports fans across the nation are hoping makes for a great matchup when we get Western and Sask this weekend. Yeah, I think I think this is gonna be a very interesting matchup. I th- I feel like I. <laughs> 
I'm not saying this game could go either way. I think Western is the favorite. Or I mean, I, I, I am saying it could go either way. Mm-hmm. I'm not betting against Western. But I do think this will be a pretty tight game. Yeah. I, I, thought, this, I thought the Guelph game would be a little tighter also. <laughs> so who knows? But yeah. in terms of uh, comparing Sask to Guelph, there are some solid similarities. I mean, in terms of having dominant offensive lines. Sask's head coach, Flurry, if you're not aware, was a 15-year CFL superstar offensive lineman. You know, multiple times most outstanding offensive lineman in the CFL. Oh, right. Was on. a part <laughs> of those sort of those those Alouette. Well, he was a part of the Alouette's dynasty. He was a big part of that. He was protecting for Calvillo pretty much his whole career. And you see it with his offensive line, the way they play. I mean, left to right, I don't think they have any weakness on the offensive line. Maybe their right guard is is perhaps the weakest, but he's not weak. And their left guard, Matlin Riley, is a stud. And he's you know, he was in the Canada West All Star. Very fitting. Their two tackles are enormous and young. I mean, they have a second-year left tackle and a third-year right tackle. I guess not young, young, but you know, no first years starting on the offensive line, as far as mm-hmm. I know. And no one you're worried about losing this year to uh, you know the draft per se. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about Madeline Riley. Maybe he, oh, okay. maybe it's his draft year. Maybe, but he might be third year too. Um, but their left tackle and right tackle, you know, six seven, six eight, over 300 pounds. Just huge and athletic, mm. and yeah, they can run the ball, and they ran the ball on Calgary. Like they really ran the ball on Calgary, and Calgary. I think the consensus was that their run defense was a little young. Their their defensive line was a little young, but I mean, you know, they're good. So on the other side of the ball, Sask has a defensive tackle. I think his last name is. It's a little hard to say. I think it's Macabroda. Macabroda. Yeah. If we have any Sask fans listening. Evan Macabroda, number 54. He's a defensive tackle. This guy is a demon. Like, he's yeah. a little undersized. He might be sort of like a, maybe a slightly bigger, if anyone remembers, Ettore Latenzio. Oh, boy. Latenzio. Latenzio. Oh, they he used was. to go nuts for him. That oh, guy boy. was the Tasmanian devil. He was he was more undersized than Macabrota. I hated playing him because just as a undersized lineman myself, the only advantage you ever have is a natural pad level. Mm. And Latenzio just took that away from me, plus being way stronger, way faster, and I think a little crazy too. Like, just... Oh man! Yeah, he was he was he was he was a handful. Yeah, he pancaked me straight up once. I think. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, no, not even. I think that happened. Yeah, that he was a problem. Yeah. He was a problem. Uh, this Mackie Broda guy is a problem. He had a sack. I they they credit him with one sack on the day and one tackle. Okay, a little misleading. I don't know where which sort of sack they they credit him with. There was one where he broke through. He split a double team, and the whole offensive line, sorry, the whole defensive line converged. Uh, he was the first to get there and up the middle through a double team. So pretty impressive. But just in terms of being disruptive all day, you cannot overlook him. He is he is fantastic. Their linebackers are kind of interesting. They had an interception on the day from Thomas Whiting, who's one of their linebackers. That wasn't, you know, wasn't like a super brilliant interception on his part, but he was in the right spot. Their linebackers get out in coverage very quickly. You know, you notice against, and, and that's partly just because of the way Canada West is, often passing the ball. But they do a three, you know, when you call it a 3-3 or 3-4 defense, it's not a 3-4 in the way that we think of American defenses where you have, you know, 
a 3-4, but really you have two outside linebackers who are edge rushers by skill set. They'll have the three defensive linemen they have. uh, Mackie Broda is one. uh, Koronkovic, I want to say. 90, Tristan uh, Koronkovic. Uh, It's a... I think it's a Polish name. It's hard hard to pronounce. And um, uh, their other defensive lineman is Riley Pickett. They're all very good. They're big. They're defensive linemen. They can pass rush. I don't know if they have any other pass rushers. They will send some pressure with their linebackers. But their linebackers are very quick to get out and coverage. So that's interesting. We'll see how they, they handle Western because it almost looks like they're, they're in skelly half the time. Like they're really not respecting Calgary's run. Least, unless it's you know, very obviously a running down. Right. So, interesting to see how that plays out. You know, you wonder if they're susceptible to something like a, like a like a draw because they're just True. getting yeah. out so quickly. They're looking, they're gone. They're turning their backs. Well, so, also how they're going to handle just the RPOs that uh, Western runs because that's now giving you multiple threats that sort of all start from the run game. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, West Western's game is absolutely built from the ground up. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, in 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 the double entendre being, Literally. you know, well, obviously everything's built from the ground up, right? But no, uh, from the run game. Yeah. And in the, the pass game, sort of works off of the run game. So, mm-hmm. a truly balanced team like Western. It's funny, Sask. They will be able to game plan for Western, or they will be able to practice for Western just by. Just by playing their own offense. The defense will be prepared by playing their own offense because, again, both balanced teams, Western and Sask. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't have seen that a ton all year in Can West. So who knows how that'll factor. That'll be interesting to see. I, I just assume Western will be able to run the ball on them. But it will be a challenge because, again, they're, they're a, it's a good defensive line. And they, I don't think they have any one linebacker who's like a star, like a, like a game breaker. But just as a unit, they're sort of, in a way, they're kind of like. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of like Waterloo in that way, right? So they have four guys who are, who are quick, who can move around, who sort of can create havoc. I don't know if they're as – I don't know what the term would be. It's not, I guess, chaotic, organized chaos on Waterloo's defense. Right. Sometimes more organized than others. Um, but in terms of presenting difficult looks for an offense, I don't know if they have a ton of crazy packages. I think we saw – they had a fun show radar look where they would sort of walk everyone up and then bail all their, you know, three of their interior sort of pressure guys right off the snap. And that's a problem because they are so quick to get out mm. that they can disrupt those underneath passes. Most of the time when you have a show look like that where everyone's at the line of scrimmage, they're not really actually fast enough to get out and, and, and be a problem for underneath you know, slants or without bailing or way too early. Yeah, yeah. Without, without sort of showing Skipping their hands. Yeah. Exactly. So I really like what I've seen from Sask. And if you watch them on offense, they're just, you could tell they, they have some interesting formations. They have a bunch formation that they like to run out of where they'll have three receivers bunched pretty close to the offensive formation. And they'll run slice motions out of that where they'll, you know, bring a receiver or H back to crack back on a defensive end. Very common motion you see with fullbacks, but usually a fullback who's in the backfield and sort of, uh, you know, something something you've seen a zillion times. A very sort of vanilla offense, traditional yeah. thing. The way they run it with that formation is they'll have the slice backside, and then they'll use one of those bunch receivers to double with their offensive tackle on the play side end, and then they'll sort of 
not run off, but they'll have the other receiver run up field to block the half that's sort of close to the line of scrimmage uh, in response to that formation. And they do some nice stuff in terms of switching off routes. Like you can tell they, you can tell they really intimately knew Calgary's defense mm. uh, and knew sort of that they could force switches. They were seeing a lot of man coverage, so it was it was it was a fun fun game to watch. And I'm really looking forward to the, the matchup with Western. No, I mean I, I think it from everything you described there. I mean it sounds like it'll be an incredible matchup, um, and it's gonna be interesting to see how you know how you talked about with. Can West being a little bit more of a pass-heavy league, or at least you see that more um, pro-style passing offense utilized, and how that's going to affect Saskatchewan playing an OUA team where it's a little bit more of a you know run-reliant uh, league. We obviously had some incredible passing or, or performances at the quarterback position this year in the OUA. On the flip side, too, then will like what do you think is the most comparable thing to that style of a uh, five wide offense that Western might have seen this year in the OUA. Probably Queens. Yeah. I, I if I'm guess I mean Queens would have liked to have been more balanced than they proved they were able to be. I think when I watch Sask, I see I see kind of Queens with a better O line in a way. Mm. Um it's kinda hard. I mean I'm trying to think who else runs a lot of five wide. I mean, York ran five, uh, five receiver sets, but they also had a good fullback, so they wanted to keep him involved. Yeah. I guess Queens. Queens is probably probably the team I'm thinking of. And with a healthy Osikusi in in the fold. Sure, and the yeah. Teodel Brocker. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no one really has a player like Colton Clausen. No one mm-hmm. really has a player who is just as good a blocker as he is a downfield receiver. And is good after the catch downfield. Yeah, and he's just a, a great mismatch player because he's he's fast, he's physical, he runs good routes. Yeah, and again, he can block inside. So, you know, you really don't know if you're going to see him leaking when he has that slice motion backside that that often sets up off of play action. Yeah, or if he's going to be blocking uh, when he's running at a linebacker or DB down the field. You really don't know. Is he about to run you over yeah. in a run game, or is he going to burst by you? A, a guy I played with at Guelph who who seems to have been of that um, of that archetype would be Alex Charette, who spent some time with Montreal, I think spent some time with Toronto in the CFL, where in that H kind of slot position can make an impact in the box, can get downfield, can t- you can hand him the ball off on a sweeper, you know, motion him into the backfield. And it's really just – just remembering that the teams we had with him really impactful. Just it's a sw- just having that kind of Swiss Army knife at you know in the slot, being able to do everything. You know, bounce him out wide, bring him in. Like as you described, if he's running at the linebacker, what's he gonna do? I mean, the versatility is incredible. For Western, then, how do you see them handling something like that? That type of that type of player, this type of spread out offense, then. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if like I I know so Fraser Sopic's been the Sam linebacker for Western. And when he's there, he's, he's obviously great at that position. They would prefer him inside. So the question is, do they try to match him up with Clawson? Oh, okay. And sort of say, hey, you know, have your best beat our best. Uh, because, the, you know, these are, I, I think those are the two, you know, that's the best offensive player and the yeah. best defensive player for each team respectively. Uh, don't have to go out on a limb to say Fraser Soap is the best <laughs> defensive player. He's voted the best defensive player in the conference. So, <laughs> That would be an interesting matchup. Mm-hmm. 
but I think they're kind of they kind of waste Frazier if they have him in man coverage because they have other people who can who could deal with Clawson in, in man coverage, but they'd want Frazier in the box. Right. So it's unclear to me how they'll deal with that. They have some other guys who can obviously they have they have plenty of guys who can cover. Um, if they might be getting into sort of dime package looks, well, where they'll bring in an extra DB, or right. if they'll have Danny Valente, their safety, kind of come down and play some man coverage on him. Um, of course, then they'd have to maybe bring another Sam into, or another safety rather into the game. Uh, I'm not sure. The truth is because again, this, this is an unusual threat. This is an unusual mm-hmm. offense where they have the capacity to go five R and run the ball. They have the capacity to. Be in 5R, but really not, because if you're in 5R, but you're in bunch, and one of those receivers really functions as a fullback, yeah, then yeah, you're in 5R in name only. I mean, you're you're functionally you're you're uh, you have a, an H in the backfield. They practically do so, and they can run stuff out of that that I haven't seen them run yet. I mean, I'd be interested to see if they could run a trap with Clausen where they can, you know, trap true, an interior true. defensive yeah. lineman. Because again, you're just that's not something you're expecting out of that that formation and. Yeah, I'm really not sure. I haven't. I have watched. I've watched Sask, but I haven't watched enough Sask to, to really know. You know what their sort of their entire offense looks like. I've watched the Calgary game, and uh, I've watched. Well, I've watched this Calgary game, the the Hardy Cup, and their one earlier in the year against Calgary, where it was at Sask and it, it was snowing, and that was <laughs> that was in, yeah, that was in October, I think. So. <laughs> That's not supposed to happen. Or was it late September? I That's don't know. not supposed to happen either. No, but that <laughs> things like that do tend to happen in Saskatchewan. Oh boy. Especially in northern Saskatchewan. Saskatoon is even further north than Regina, so uh, believe it or not. I'll have to brush up on my Saskatoon geography. Um, but going into – so moving a bit away from the X's and O's, as we kind of joked about in the, the Yates uh, review, you know, Marshall kind of – cleared the demons from the Laurier loss he's now cleared the demons from the Guelph loss is he in any way or is this team not not to pin it all on Marshall are they at all upset that it's not the Dinos coming to visit them I think they would have relished the opportunity yeah I think also you know I I think they probably had cleared the demons from the Guelph loss maybe last year yeah yeah, and the Laurier loss also kind of last year Beating them in uh, in epic fashion, both those teams in succession on their way to the Vanier Cup. I think they're just focused on winning. I yeah. don't, you know, I, I think they definitely they would they wouldn't have minded playing Calgary, but I think also Calgary presented some interesting challenges, and I think more than having an emotional demon clearing win, they just want to have a yeah. resounding win. When it's all said and done, if you have two back to back Vanier Cups, ten, twenty. 30 years from now, no one's going to be talking about, well, you didn't play Calgary on your way to the second one. And, oh, yeah, 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 he didn't. No, and, yeah, Sask is no pushover. Like, oh, no doubt. Sask was the better team than Calgary Yeah, in the Hardy Cup, and they were the better team than UBC, and UBC came on strong late in the season. So Sask is the real deal, and it doesn't seem like they have. They didn't have any emotional hangover from the win against UBC. I doubt they'll have any emotional hangover from the win against Calgary. So they're going to come into Western just, I mean, looking to say, yeah, you <laughs> – you wish you'd played Sask. Or sorry, you, sorry, <laughs> you, you wish, wish you'd played, played Calgary. Calgary. Yeah, yeah. yeah you damn right you did. Well, I mean, that can be a dangerous mentality, too, for a team uh, in Western, having the home field advantage and getting too up on the fact that perhaps you are playing the team that you would have rathered of the two, thinking, you know, oh, you know, 
we got Saskatchewan. It's in the it's in the bank. You know what I mean? And I don't think that I think that's that's I I wouldn't put that mentality on anyone at Western, particularly in the coaching staff. That's a very professional organization they have there. Um, but I mean that it, it it's it's not the the hottest of takes to think that a team might get a little too up on themselves when yeah the the undefeated team got knocked out before they got a chance to even come visit you. It's it's happened in the past. Yeah, I mean I think. I, I, I obviously I remember because I was involved with the Calgary debacle where we went to Calgary and got our asses handed to us. But I just I think the leadership is just so strong at this point. I mean, yeah. they've seen it all. The coaches, the players, like this is just such a such a mature and yeah. um, battle tested battle battle tested. Yeah, it's a great word for it. I mean, yeah. they've they've been through every war now and they've they've been winning them, sort of. With one hand almost tied behind their back, so yeah. <laughs> no hands tied behind their back. They've they've just been killing teams though. So yeah. hey, I, I think I think they one team one t- one arm tied behind the back and a machine gun in the other. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Well, I guess that not only kind of gives us the wrap on the Hardy, but I guess that also turned into a nice preview uh, of Western and Sask uh, coming up this weekend. So. I guess we'll take that opportunity now to take a look at the other championship games across the... Let's do it. So in the RSEQ, in the Dunsmore Cup, Le Coupe Dunsmore, uh, Laval toppled Montreal 14-1 to in a game that, from the looks of it, couldn't have been a more Laval-Montreal game, even if you could have scripted it out. Yeah, I mean, the score alone, classic uh, with these two teams. And if I'm correct, I don't think there was even an offensive or let alone any touchdown scored in this game no you know what there was one it was a 77 yard <laughs> fumble recovery there off, it of is. A, off of a kick right actually you want to just go through that score summary real quick of this game yeah yeah please go so so we have laval with a uh, a field goal early okay <laughs> when i say early i mean in the second quarter with two minutes Four, 50 seconds left in the second quarter. Uh, two, two minutes in, I believe. Oh, the pardon way me. They're, the, yeah. way they're, the way they're noting it here, uh, just based off of uh, uh, the layout. And and then we have the Adam O'Claire, who is, is you know, I think there's there's Sam linebacker. He's, you know, a star for them, was a star for them last year. With a 77-yard fumble recovery off the David Cote kick. And then you have Montreal getting their lone point on the board on the day in the late second quarter. With a uh, a Simonon Rouge, 43-yard Rouge. And then in the second half, the only scoring that existed was two team safeties for Laval in yeah. the, the third quarter. So that that got the score from 10-1 uh, to 1 to 12-1, to 1, and then finally to 14-1. to 1. Kind of, I mean, hilarious. Like, this is just the most classic <laughs> Laval-Montreal game. The stats are almost just mind-boggling to go through. L- I mean, both these teams. I mean, I guess for for Laval, Hugo Richard is the star. Uh, passing the ball, finished with 146, 14 of 22. Obviously, no touchdowns. Yeah, he's the and he's the the RSEQ MVP for like the fourth time. Yeah, and, and no doubt, all um, well earned. And it's just didn't really show it on the day, though. No, 146 yards, 14 for 22, one interception. I mean, Montreal defensively has been like that. They have been just a stalwart defensively for seemingly. I mean, the past for the what? entire Machocha era. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I well, we played them twice: once in exhibition, once uh, in the Mitchell, and just 
whew, things that you just you know talking about you know the Western SAS preview in terms of what are you going to see from that uh, conference offensively. It's the flip side when you look at the RSEQ. It's what are you going to see defensively that you just won't see from any other team? Just the uh, different coverages, the way that they blitz, the way they line up, even just their defensive linemen, just things that you do not see. Well, and I mean, it shows on the day, right? Like you have fewer yards of total offense between the two teams than, you know, Western did Yeah, uh, on their own. 277 for Montreal, 264 for Laval. And they looked a little bit differently in terms of how they got there. Obviously, Laval knows they can run the ball on anyone. Well, against Montreal, they they ran the ball, but 4.8 yards on average per rush yeah. on uh, on 26 rushing attempts, good for 124 yards. Yeah. That's like a fine American stat line, but in the CFL, sorry, in the CFL, in Canadian football, yeah. that, that that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, because that's not an efficient day running the ball. And if the scoring summary seemed a little odd, like the drive summary of this game, just. I, I I think I'm recycling a joke from a previous OUA game that had a, an outcome that looked like this, where the drive summary of this game just looks like it was a special teams practice between these two teams because all you have <laughs> are punts, kickoffs, uh, a couple field goals, a couple fumbles, you know, run the fumble drill in there. And, yeah. <laughs> but, like we said, this is, like, this is a classic game uh, like that you see between these two teams regularly. And, you know... For, in terms of, you know, standout players, you know, Richard obviously, as the quarterback of the best team, and not to take away from his talent, is going to be the name that people talk about. But really, when we talk about Laval, and we talk about their top players, I mean, um, Monsieur Mathieu Betts, he's, yeah. he's the guy you look at. He's the best defensive end I've ever seen in Canada. And I don't go back super, super far, so it's not, you know, it's not a great it's, – it's not maybe as powerful a statement as it should be. I don't have quite the, the authority uh, to, to, to say he's the best defensive end ever in Canada. But he's, he's got to be up there. Like, he'd be the first overall pick if he didn't have such a likely chance of, of making it to the NFL and sticking there. And obviously, you know, not the um, – Another craziest day from him, right? He doesn't have any sacks on the mm-hmm. day. He had a, a half tackle for a loss and two and a half total tackles. But the best players for Laval outside of him, uh, Bassembombo and uh, Desjardins, Eau Claire, Chenevere, those guys are all either all-stars this year or in previous years. Yeah. And they all played great games. You had the, the sack from uh, Vincent Desjardins. The def- he's a defensive tackle. So he's a problem. Uh, Bassembombo was, a, you know, another, you know, no, RCQ All Star, and it's just one of those teams. Like, there's not a single weak player on the team. Mm-hmm. You know, last year Western put some numbers up on them in the Vanier Cup, but even still, it wasn't as though they torched them. They they beat them, but Western just executed flawlessly. Like the coverage is always going to be tight, and it was again on the day. I mean, credit to Montreal. They did they did put up over 200 yards passing on this defense, so that's that's worth something. Yeah, uh, and the defense. I guess the way they bailed themselves out was having three interceptions on the day. Yeah. And, I mean, going back to – just going back to bets real quick, I think, um, you know, if, if you didn't know, Guelph went to play Laval in a preseason scrimmage, one that they got thoroughly um, their hat handed to them in that one. But one of the, you know, moments of note, and not to say that he wouldn't have garnered our or the, you know, OUA Watcher's attention either way, but was the job Eric Starcella did all game long in that 
in that matchup against Betts. And, you know, normally one of the weird things that Guelph did this year was having Starcell at right tackle when normally your best tackle with a right-handed quarterback would be at the left side. That game, they were moving him back and forth. Either way, you know, Betts is the type of, you know, player that another player's performance against him, if even remotely positive, which Starcell's performance was more than just remotely positive, is just... It's it, that always speaks to the player who went up against him, the tackle. But um, yeah, and and it's also worth noting, you know, Betts is going to be the focal point for every single game plan against Laval. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't deal with him, he will ruin your game. And he can come out of a game with a stat line like I just read off for him, having two and a half tackles, a half for a loss, and no sacks, and he can still ruin a game. Yeah. Even with no stats, he can ruin a game. Well, and we talked about with, with the Western Saskatchewan matchup and just how with the Saskatchewan Calgary review is with that five wide, five R offense where you have the single back, is he the type of player where that you, you can't run that type of offense against him because you're going to need an extra blocker in there against him? Boy, you have to have a lot of trust in your offensive tackles if you're not going to have an extra yeah. blocker and to chip him. I mean... Like, I, I I wouldn't blame an offense for assigning two players to him every single play. And we talk about, you know, double-teaming guys. It's hard to double-team defensive ends. You know, you can give a chip with a running back, but chips are, you know, not always really that helpful. And you can keep a tight end on the line of scrimmage, in which case mm-hmm. the backer over top of him could just fire and sort of get quick pressure. It's not easy to, to devote that much attention to a player. Yeah, I don't know how you could run five R against him. I agree; it's, it'd be very difficult. That, I mean, I, I I have no doubt that you're obviously cheering for Western to make it into that Vanier Cup. But for that fact alone of how those te- how that um, how such a stalwart defensive player would match up against Saskatchewan and the way they run their offense would be super interesting just to see how they would adjust and what they would do. Um, but uh, I you mean, know, you're going to see lots of you know Western's going <laughs> to Western had. A plan for him last year, and yeah. hence how they managed to keep him off the stat sheet uh, in terms of sacks. That's obviously a very difficult thing to do for him not to come out of a game with multiple sacks. Yeah, uh, you have to, you know, you have to devote the time. So yeah, no, I, it'd be interesting to see how Laval matches up against mm. him. I hope we do not see it. <laughs> and and for Laval, this obviously um, cements the three and zero record against Montreal this year. Which even in past years where Laval has either won, um, pardon me, won uh, Vanier Cups or just made it to the Vanniers it's not infrequent to see them have one or I think even once they took two losses in the regular season in Montreal on their way to the Vanier. And so it just sets up a very neat possibility of not only um, the rematch of last year's Vanier, if both Western Laval make it, but of two perfect seasons going up against each other. I mean, just what a story that would behold. Um, but we'll have to see when we get there. Um, I guess, taking a look out east now and the or, one other you know i guess there's no more perfect seasons out east because of course yep. st fx beat st mary's well it was they i think it was acadia who beat them in the oh that's true yeah that's to, true. to give them the seven and one my mistake of course yeah of course yeah but um, in a meaningless game right where st fx exactly. already had the top seed locked up st mary's sorry st, st. Mary's. mary's all these saints <laughs> so many saints out there um but yeah and and much like how Acadia took out St. Mary's in that game, whether it was meaningless or not. St. FX put a bit of a beatdown on to St. Mary's in this one. Uh, final score, 33-9. to They Much like pretty much it seemed like every game across the country this Saturday, cold, wet, rainy, bad conditions. Um, St. FX coming out, putting up 10 points um, right out of the gate in the first quarter. Um, 
I guess just as a testament to perhaps a lack of uh, attention to some of these teams out here, there seems to be another Simon Kinda, and he plays for St. Mary's uh, from the Ottawa region, much like Elaine and JP for Guelph are as well. So, uh, and he's a running back. So I'm I'm willing to bet there's probably a connection there. Um, but you know, obviously on the game, he only had uh, five rushes for 47 yards, so that wasn't gonna put St. Mary's in much of a position to uh, to win this game. No, and, and the conditions favored St. FX in terms of their capacity to run the ball because they, they really do run the ball out there. They ran the ball with uh, Sokolaktiuk 34 times for 179 yards, 5.3 carry. Obviously not highly dynamic, but, you know, the longest run on the day was 15 yards. So it tells you a little bit about how they were just churning out runs yeah. all over the place. Well, I mean, once again, I mean, for OUA watchers specifically, you know, uh, Sokolaktiuk, I believe was – leading the nation or was one of the top backs across conferences. So, I mean, to your point, it definitely favored conditions for, um, for St. FX um, and an undoubtedly incredible talented player they have there at running back. But, um, you know, that's so we had, what was this one called? So what do we figure out? Was it Loney or Looney? Was it? It's one of the two. It's yeah. Well, it, 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 it must be. Um, so, St. FX is your uh, Luoni Bull <laughs> champions. But we'll go with Loney. We'll go with Loney. I think it is Loney. Um, and they will... And if we're wrong, it would be Baloney. <laughs> oh, boy. Or some type of uh, I'm soy. I'm sorry to everyone who had to hear that. <laughs> um, yeah, so that will be the matchup out east between Laval and St. FX. I mean, any crazy... Saint effects would this. have to be able to run the ball against Laval yeah. to have an effective day. If Montreal can't run the ball at all against Laval, yeah. I have a tough time seeing how Saint effects could be able to run the ball. Who knows? I mean, I know they have a good offensive line. I uh, the left tackle for Saint effects went to my high school, so I've been able to watch him. He's a very good more player. Saints, eh? More, there we go. More Saints. The long and the short of it is, this is a very tough matchup for Saint effects. Yeah. We know that it's always going to be a tough matchup for the AUS team against. You know, any winner from the OUA, Canada West, or the RCQ, yeah. and the RCQ, yeah, I just the way that they match up. If you had a weak run defense, make it through, then I guess you know you have a chance to keep it close for a while and chew the game clock up, and you know keep it within a few possessions, a couple possessions, maybe even one. I don't know against Laval. Like Laval is just such a dominant defense, and it doesn't make it any easier for Saint FX as they will be traveling to Quebec City. For the uh, UTech Bowl as well, so yeah, Laval now presumably has two home games yeah. coming up for the you know because the Quebec City uh, will be hosting the Vanier Cup, so mm-hmm. in, including this uh, this UTech Bowl. Yeah, and you know, I, I, when at the Yates, I heard a couple fans just kind of talking about the Vanier and uh, <laughs> kind of cute. There was there was a little kid with his dad at the game, and they were talking about the Vanier, and the kid was ho- kind of very like, you know pie in the sky hopefully be like you know is the Vanier ever gonna be in Guelph like are we ever gonna host it and it's like I forgot what the dad said but it's like you know it seems like it's more often in Quebec City than anywhere else but for good reason because they bring fans out in droves they love that shit out there you know the 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 flip side is the, the Laval fans will travel to games oh yeah that's true. I mean Laval does a great job hosting the Vanier Cup and all the festivities around it the events but I mean, it, Laval Laval fans made it out to Hamilton. In fact, yeah. in better numbers than 
the Western fans did, I think. So you could make an argument that you could host it anywhere, and Laval will still get true five thousand fans out. Well, I like it. I, I think it's. I, I think it's got to be either you either go with strictly at Laval or do it where you pair it up with the Grey Cup. Where it is, I remember. I agree. I think that's a really good idea, and I, I'm I'm upset that they went away from that because that drove yeah. attendance all the way up. It creates this sort of beautiful event for Canadian football. Yeah, broadly, w- when it was the hundredth Grey Cup uh, in Toronto, whenever that was, I think it was the second Mac Laval matchup back in I guess 2012. Yeah, and I remember going to that game, and it was you know all Front Street was not closed off or it might have been closed off to cars but it was all just it was just a celebration of canadian football canadian culture and uh you know the sky dome roger center obviously wasn't sold out for that game as uh, you might have expected but a good turnout nonetheless and just a great atmosphere surrounding it you know no, but i mean the sky dome the sky dome is never really sold no. out for football but the thing is is okay you don't need to have fifty thousand people out if you have 30 out that's amazing i mean yeah. it, you obviously want a stadium to feel full but I mean, we get into this another day with the way the Argos have <laughs> moved to a smaller stadium, yeah. thinking they could fill it. And in fact, now they're just going to be at half capacity. They're going to be at varsity know. before we know it. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that the venue would sell out BMO either. But then on the flip side, you know, Vars- I love Varsity Stadium. I think it's a great place to watch a game. And it's kind of a beautiful, it's a very nice stadium and everything like that. That might be too small on the flip side. So there's really no perfect. No, definitely be too know, small. It's a little Goldilocks situation here with, uh, out, you know, where to have a big football game here in Toronto. But, um, yeah, I got no problem with them playing as many games as they, many of these big games in Laval as they want. Um, and, uh yeah, like you said. The it's t- a great football yeah. city. And, and you know what? Like it, It'll be a hostile environment for mm-hmm. the, whatever team, hopefully Western, makes it to the Vanier Cup. But yeah. at the same time, that's that's half the fun. Exactly. And you know, on the flip side, if it's not Western, it's another arguably the second best football culture. Or, you know, I won't even say that. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, Laval, it's, it's Montreal, Quebec at large. And you know those you know prairie cities that just are the most diehard for Canadian football. I mean that would be a great matchup too to see. Then I'm sure there'd be a good cohort of Saskatchewan fans that would travel to Quebec City if that was the Vanier Cup this year. Um, we'll see. Sure, and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure the Rougeur fans hope that it's Western so that they can get there. No doubt. Revenge. No, yeah, no doubt. Um, but you know that's a uh, that's I guess we'll call that a wrap for our previews for the games. Uh, as you would as you would hope beyond hope with there only being two games left across the board new sports as scheduled right now the first of the two games saint effects laval is scheduled for a 12 30 eastern uh start time saskatchewan at western scheduled for a four o'clock start um finally 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 we've we've done it we've cracked the code you can sit back relax i think these will be nationally televised games i think this is where they finally start caring about uh their uh you know local amateur sports uh, at least in football and uh yeah it'll be great uh great weekend of sports and it'll set up the uh the vanier and i can't wait for that i'm sure all you out there will be uh you know nipping at the butt to see who it will be to face off whether it'll be the rematch whether it'll be a new contender we'll just have to wait and see um but with that in mind uh let's move on so a quick run through of the major award winners and all-stars out of the oua this year we did a preview on a on a previous episode uh, of sort of who we thought was in contention, you know, we had some, uh, some there were some obvious selections, and then there were some less obvious ones that we'll uh, we'll comment on. The major award winners, if you weren't sure that it would be Trey Ford, 
Well, it was. Uh, Go punch yourself in the face first. <laughs> you know, you can always make a case that it should be the best quarterback on the best team. Yeah, no, you're right. But and mm-hmm. Trey Ford is is you know, and and obviously Chris Merchant's incredible. We know that. Trey Ford put together a season statistically unlike anything we've ever seen. 2,822 passing yards, 27 touchdowns, 74.1% completion. That's that's a record as well. And I think Merchant was just like just a hair behind him in the 73s. <laughs> and and then also, you know, Trey had a ton of yards on the ground. So <laughs> he played an unbelievable season, 641 yards on the ground to be exact, uh, ranking him sixth in the conference. He's a superstar. He's so dynamic. He's a joy to watch. Obviously, yeah. you know, he's – He's a fitting MVP, even if his team didn't win as many games as they wanted. And, you know, obviously that you know, they're going to be they're dangerous, not going anywhere. dangerous yeah. in future years. Yeah, and, you know, I think some of the some of the issues we had on defense, there's a lot of young guys in that defense. I mean, one of the other major winners was uh, Hinsberger at linebacker with the you know, rookie of the year in the OUA. Um, uh, uh, Deshaun at at, um, at defensive back is another rookie for them on the all rookie team. Yeah, Deshaun Jupiter Dean was a very nice player for them. Yeah. But um, Jack Kinsberger, the linebacker in question, twenty seven and a half tackles, two and a half sacks, five and a half of those tackles for a loss, one fumble recovery. Obviously, he was a very good player. The brothers Hinsberger, his brother playing beside him, were a dynamic couple of linebackers to go with Michael Reed and Curtis Gray in that sort of swarming three four mm-hmm. defense that kept people on their toes eventually are there holes on that defense yes but it wasn't with the linebackers they were they were doing everything they could to keep that team in games and they did a great job all year there were times when even they couldn't sort of do much to help but uh, love watching them obviously it's a nice unit and jack hinsberger a very fitting rookie of the year there were other guys who you know you could have been in that in that conversation but i think he's um i think i think he's a you know I don't think we mentioned him when we were thinking about oh, rookies of the year. I just forgot he was a rookie, to be yeah. honest. I mean, he's, he's he, the way played, he played. Yeah, he played that well. So, you know, credit to him. Stand up defensive player of the year. No surprise here. It's Frazier Sopic. You know, I think we mentioned that Frazier was our number one. Our number two would have probably been Jamie Harry. Obviously, you know, he's yeah. the best defensive back in the conference. They don't have an award for defensive backs specifically. So he takes, I guess, second place in voting on the year. Mm-hmm. Fraser Sobic, his stat line probably doesn't blow you away. 38 tackles on the year. Uh, he had two and a half for a loss, an interception. Really, his stats don't, don't tell any part of the story. This seems to be a little bit more of that best player on the best defense type situation. But he was also the best defensive player, period. It just doesn't show in the stats. Right. He was the best player on the best defense, yes. But also, you just – he is, again, he is the focal point, the game plan. You have to know where he is at all times. And even when you do, he's still going to mess you up. Yeah. It's just one of those players. Like, if you watch him, if you if you break down the film, you will see what the coaches saw. It's – again, even if the stats don't tell you it's the case, trust me. Yeah. He's incredible. So, very fitting in my opinion. Uh, the lineman of the year, Kenny Onyeka, no, no surprise. surprise yeah. Even missing games, he finished with uh, the the lead in tackles. Or, sa- or sacks. Sorry, sacks. Yeah. Excuse me. Sacks. Was tackles it, of the quarterback. Was it seven and a half? Or, or? I believe it was. Yeah, somewhere uh, in that ballpark. Yeah, and, and Carlton obviously led the league in sacks with 24 on the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kenny Onyeka, and what can you say about him? He's a fifth-year defensive lineman. 
He also had ten and a half tackles for a loss. He's just one of those players, like seven plus sacks, ten plus tackles for a loss. Always a part of the game plan yeah. on a very dangerous defensive line, and diverting attention away from everybody else. So again, the guy you're game planning for. Yeah, superstar. Nobody else really, I think, would have been in conversation for this award. If you were to give it to an offensive lineman, there were some offensive linemen who played great years, but I think this is a pretty, pretty clear-cut pick. Mm-hmm. The Tuffy Knight Award for Coach of the Year. Guess who? Greg Marshall. Very fitting. Yeah, I mean he's put together. How many? How many wins is it now total? Like twenty, twenty plus. Gosh. In a row. Yeah. This team is amazing. Coach Marshall's obviously you know very very near and dear to my heart, having been coached by him for three years. He's incredible, and there's a reason he, year in year out, presides over the best offenses, and often the best defenses, including this year. And often the best special teams, or amongst them. So, incredible, incredible coach. Yeah. Well-deserved, and hopefully he can get himself another Vanier Cup ring this year. The Volunteer Coach of the Year. Now, I don't know all the volunteer coaches. I know Gleese is one, the D.C. for Western. He would have obviously been in the consideration because he's put together another dominant defense, as he often does year in, year out. But they went to Mike White of Ottawa, who's the defensive backs coach, for the GGs. You're talking defensive backs, talking Ottawa GGs, that's a big thumbs up across the board for it me. Makes a lot of sense, <laughs> yeah. doesn't it? I mean, uh, probably the best group of DBs in the country. Yeah. Um, certainly in the conversation, no matter how you slice it. Yeah. You know, even the guys who didn't make the All Star team, which we'll talk about in a minute, played very well for them all year. Jamie Harry, obviously, can't say enough good things about Jamie Harry. He's incredible. And, um, they had they had great play from everyone. So, yeah. you know, no qualms with that. Obviously, just mentioned uh, Gleason, the defensive coordinator for Western, as being another guy who would have been in that conversation. Mm-hmm. The Russ Jackson Award uh, nominee from Ontario was Mackenzie Ferguson of Western. You know, fifth-year corner for Western. The This award is kind of a combination of high-quality player and High quality person. Yeah. And yes, we do have those at Western. <laughs> and and um, to the shock of everyone listening. Well, and I, did yeah, did Nick Vannon, who we had last year, I think he was he was on this. I think he got this award too. So, in fact, uh, a pretty um, a pretty interesting a pretty interesting guy though, Mackenzie Ferguson. He's he's doing his masters uh, TAing also at Western, sort of. I think he's he's going to be in a med school next year, probably. Oh, damn. Vannon one of those last guys, year, eh? yeah, one of those guys, super smart. Um, obviously, you know, he's just he's a great player, and like yeah. we talked about him as being a bit of a dark horse for the All Star corner was a very very competitive group of All Stars, so he didn't make it, but he had a pick six last game in the Yates. He had two interceptions the game before. To put it all in perspective, and he had interceptions in the regular season as well. He's he's a great football player yeah. and what you know and a, and a great dude. So really happy for him. Well deserved, and that rounds out the the major award winners. Um, moving over to all stars. So obviously Trey Ford is the first team quarterback, as you expect, because he was the MVP. Easy enough. Cedric Joseph, the first team running back. They only did one running back this year. You know they did one running back, one fullback. Yeah. And and I, I like it when they include more running back positions because there are so many great running backs. I mean, if there were ever a year to allow for as many running backs as you could fit onto this list, I mean, 
we thought receiver was going to be bunched up. I, I kind of just didn't even realize they were going to one true running back for this list. But it's tough. But yeah. I mean, that, that's you know. So they give it to the guy who led the the league in rushing yards and touchdowns. Makes sense. Yeah, that's can't can't blame them. Uh, the, we'll do the first team and the second team. We'll mention them both. So the the first team quarterback Trey Ford, second team Chris Merchant. You know, you can make a case Merchant was the best quarterback. You can make a case it was Trey Ford. The voting committee went with Trey Ford. Can't blame them. Merchant had a great year though. Obviously, you know, threw a ton of yards and presided over the best offense in the country. The second team running back Lavondre Gordon. Again, we could we could talk about a yeah. ton of different running backs who were deserving, but Lavondre Gordon certainly was deserving. I think it's easy to um, you know look past Lavondre Gordon given the collapse of Laurier's year, but none of that is on Gordon's shoulders at all. No, I mean the one constant for them was an ability to run the ball, yeah. uh, especially outside, which is where he made yeah. most of his money. Laurier's been good running the ball for years. Lavondre Gordon, you know, there are questions of is this offensive line what elevates the running back or the running back what elevates the offensive line? How much does scheme play into it? These are all questions that are worth asking. I think the truth about Laurie is it was a good offensive line. It got better towards the end of the year. Lavondre Gordon's production was pretty constant throughout. Scheme-wise, I think they did a really good job of putting him in the right position. But when you watch him, you just – you know – in an offense with dangerous weapons, you knew that every single week he could be the thing that killed you. Yeah. So even though they had kind of a rough year uh, as a team, you can't you can't really put that on him. You know, he had 98 yards a game rushing. So, you know, that's that's third to Cedric Joseph at 120 and Dawson O'Day at 114. Mm. You know, Dawson O'Day, another guy we would have liked to see in there. Jordan Lyons, another guy. Nathan Carter, another guy. Like those yeah. would be. In terms, and and that's that was the top five in rushing yards per game. Mm-hmm. You know, all really great players. Yeah. So, but at the end of the day, Lavondre Gordon, you know, also second in the league in rushing touchdowns. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing selection. wrong with that. Yeah. The fullbacks, uh, Nikola Kalinic was the first team fullback, and Mario Villamizar the second team. Yep. Kalinic is widely regarded as the best fullback prospect in the country, and I believe it. I. I when I watched York, which I didn't spend tons of time watching York, but when I did, he didn't jump out at me. That being said, they didn't run the ball a ton. And when I'm watching fullbacks, I'm really watching for how they play as true fullbacks. You know, and I mean, obviously what they can do in the passing game is important, very much so. But when I watch a true fullback play, Mario Villamizar, to me, was the best in conference. Mm. He was vital to Levandre Gordon. Sure, so, yeah. um like both great players, obviously, both have CFL careers ahead of them. I mean, on specials, if not regulars on offense. So, uh, both deserving. Mitch Rafer was another guy we talked about as being fairly deserving, and yeah. uh, Antonio Valvano for Western, obviously. When you have the running game that Western does, you don't do that without a fullback at Western. And similarly with uh, with Carlton, we already mentioned Nathan Carter's name as a guy who could have. I mean, when you yeah, only and, have two, and, you only have two All Stars. I mean. If Nathan Carter's name appears there over Joseph or, or Gordon, sure, it's a question. But, yeah, a good fullback goes hand-in-hand hand with a good running back. That's no surprise to anyone who knows this game. Exactly. The receivers, none of these names will surprise you. They're, you know, they gave four receivers for the first and second team. Uh, the super obvious ones being Ternowski and Giddens, those yeah. were – there was never really any question there. If you 
can watch a game with those two and not come away extremely impressed, you you might have to get your eyes checked. And with Curly too, his impact. Um, well, I mean, we'll see this. We he was awarded twice as uh, um, an All Star because his impact as a returner too, just as an all purpose threat, is just it, it massive. Yeah, he's he's dominant in every facet of the game when he has the ball in his hands. Turnowski with 144 yards a game. 14 touchdowns, like, oh, my God. Like, that's just a yep. ridiculous season. Of course, you know, he could have been the OUA MVP. They'd given it to Curly Giddens last year. True. So yeah. they're not they're not opposed to giving it to the mm-hmm. best sort of playmaker, um, non-quarterback playmaker. And let's not forget that those touchdowns for Ternowski were good to set a new OUA record in receiving touchdowns. Exactly. Uh, so taking Steph Patasic. He's, yeah. you know, he's a first team all Canadian, no question about it. Not even a split second of, of hesitation on that. And I think so is Curly Giddens, even though his stat line is by his standards, mm-hmm. not as impressive with ninety ninety game, uh, ninety nine yards a game that is, uh, and not as many touchdowns, not among the f- top five in touchdowns. The other top receivers in the conference, uh, Gordon Lamb and Carter Matheson. Gordon Lamb, second in the conference in passing. Sorry, in receiving per game with 101 yards. Um, and then uh, Carter Matheson, the best receiver for Ottawa, six touchdown receptions. He's a great player, obviously. But, you know, you saw a little bit. It was kind of inconsistent the way they targeted him over mm. the course of the season. But he was he was consistently their best receiver. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Very polished, very fun to watch. Big body guy. You see a lot of times them going just Butner, Bittner. I don't know where we're going to land on that. At the it's end Butner. Of the it's Butner. All right. I've heard it's said Butner. <laughs> yeah, but, you, you, you know, plenty of times Butner just tossing it up to him, Matheson just mossing on plenty of guys across the league. Yeah, no, he's he's fantastic. And that rounds out the first-team receivers. The second team, Harry McMaster, Colton Hunchak, Matteo Del Bracco, and Brenton Hall uh, of Western York, Queens, and Laurier, respectively. <sighs> Harry McMaster, best receiver on Western. And Western's got great receivers, like – very balanced team, so you don't see as much from Cole Majoros or Brett Ellerman or Malik Bessiger, but like four great receivers, kind of like Carlton in that way where your best receiver might not have the stats you would hope for because you have such great depth. Yeah. So that was the case with Western and Harry McMaster. You know, he had a fantastic season, seven touchdown catches. Uh, I think he was in the 80s per game in terms of uh, his, his average receiving yards per game. So not enormous, but again, just a product of Western being able to just pound the ball on people like every game. And then Colton Hunchak, he's the best player at York, obviously. ton of receptions on the year, 87 yards a game receiving, and uh, six touchdowns to go with that. Uh, superstar, you know, great player, tough offense. So he could have been a first-teamer. But not that you have any problem with Gordon Lamb no. or Carter Matheson taking that honor. And then Mateo Del Bracco. My dude. <laughs> six, uh, six touchdown receptions on the year, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. And an offense that, you know, without Chris Osikusi for several games, uh, he really he took the workload mm. and, uh, and ran with it and was a great player. So very solid fifth-year player. Uh, happy for him. Brendan Hall. The number two receiver on Laurier. Two teams with two receivers represented. Laurier and Waterloo. Brenton Hall of Laurier. You know, even if even if he didn't have the numbers he'd had in the past, uh, he still had six touchdown receptions. But even if he didn't have quite the receiving yardage he'd hoped for, a star player. Nobody misses him. 
in terms of when you're watching a game, it's hard to not see him make an impact. Yeah. And they have a lot of really impactful skill players at Laurier. But for these receivers that they've selected, I mean, I mean, once again, it's one of those things where you don't necessarily think that none of them are deserving. But as you mentioned already in talking about good receiving units, Carlton. Carlton. I, I know. And I'm a little surprised Phil Loki didn't make the list. Phil Loki and Tommy Neal, they're two guys who, when you watch them play, I don't see a lot of separation between them and the rest of these receivers. I mean, I, I, guess, I, I guess I agree that they're not the top eight, but they're nine and ten, and it's close. So you could make a case for them. Uh, you could make a very strong case, though, for the guys on that list, obviously. Yeah. So those are, those are two guys who just come to mind as being great players who, um, you know, were also on, on good offenses. Like Will Corby from, from U of T and Dio Daddy from U of T, those were good receivers, too. On bad offense. But it's a terrible yeah. offense. So you, you kind of understand when they don't make the list. Yeah. But they're really good players. They're worth mentioning. We did mention them uh, in our in our preview episode. Phil Loki is a little surprising. Yeah. You know, and, and you could make a quiz. Quentin Soares is, is close on that list, too. And it's when you have two guys who are really close, it's kind of odd to not give one of them mm-hmm. a little bit of recognition. Uh, but – you know, great players. So we've we've mentioned them, and we will continue to sing the praises of that Carlton receiving group. Mm-hmm. And uh, even what? if even you know, again, like it's it's an arbitrary cutoff with four receivers. They could have gone with five receivers on this list. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I guess Carlton will get there soon enough. But Carlton got their fair share fair share of representation def- on the defensive side of the ball, without a doubt. They but sure did, and well well deservedly, of course. Yes. Uh, at center, your boy Colin Jerome. Love you, Colin. So happy for you, man. Yeah. So happy. Balled out. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a really good center. Um, kind of made that offensive line tick. Really good offensive line left to right. And uh, him and Starkzala are represented. You know, Woodman's he could have been. And I'm sure McFalls will be in future years. And, uh, you know, not to leave Petrie out of the out of the discussion because he was a good player too. Yeah, you'll, you'll generally you'll, – you'll, there's a good chance you'll probably see Petrie sliding over to center next year with Jerome graduating too, which will – you know, create for an interesting dynamic with that team. Yeah, that will be interesting. And, uh, you know, Starkzala probably gone. Yeah. And McFall's uh, still there and Woodmansey's still there. So a uh, really solid unit will be yeah. intact still next year. And, I mean, I, you know, can't have no argument against Jerome as the first-team center or the second-team center, Kyle Beaumier, a kid who I coached in London Junior Mustangs a while back. Mm-hmm. Uh, another offensive line that just, I mean – you got to give offensive lines credit when their offenses put up a bajillion yards of offense, and Waterloo did. And Kyle Beaumier, yeah, he played a great year and was, again, just a lot like Jerome. That offensive line ticked because of him, right? Yeah. Centers have to make all the calls. So when you see in the second half of, of this year the Waterloo offense in the run game really get going, you know why. Um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great unit that is playing together as a unit very well. Yeah, I mean, if you only watch the second half of, the, of this OUA season, Dion Pellerin's another name of a running back that you'd be surprised you didn't see on this list because he started to really put up numbers. Towards yeah, the it was a tough first season. half. Yeah. And obviously, you know, they were, they're a pass-happy team because they have such a talented quarterback. Yeah. But, yeah, Dion towards the second half really put together a great season, and you would expect him to carry that forward into next year and uh, – 
become sort of one of the the running backs who we have to talk about yeah uh in the oua all-star conversation not quite there this year just based on a slow first half sure yeah but you're right the second half was brilliant so moving on to tackles uh the two first teamers were jesse gibbon from waterloo and dylan giffen from western given no doubt given was a no doubter giffen was very much in the conversation you know, the second teamers being Eric Starkzala, ah, Eric Starkzala and Zachary Palejos. I'm a little surprised with Palejos. I'm a little surprised. I mean, Starkzala and Giffen are both great players. Take your pick as to who you like more. Um, we know that Starkzala may have been injured for part of this year and playing just a little bit gingerly. Great player. I expect him to have a nice CFL career. Giffen's kind of in the same category. He's improved a lot over the last couple of years. Massive guy. You know, six eight. I also coached him. Not taking credit. He's <laughs> he's six eight, three forty, or whatever he is on his own. You can't coach that. You cannot coach that. And uh, and his his technique's been improving. His yeah. knowledge of the game's been improving. He is a road grader and pretty solid in pass pro. I mean, like for a guy that big, you might think, oh, he'll be slow off the line. Well, he does a good job of keeping length. He's got incredibly strong hands. So once he has his hands on you, rep is over. And uh, those two, and then. So Gibbon, Giffen, Starkzala, and Palejos. Palejos a little bit surprising. Rookie offensive tackle. We've noted how good he has been yeah. for a rookie. Stand by it. He's been a great rookie. But I would have liked to have seen McGreer here. McGreer here? Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> Nolan McGreer of Carlton was a first-teamer last year. I, I think we had mentioned that we there were other offensive tackles we preferred over him, like Jesse Gibbon. Uh, Giffen and Starkzala, I think, also. But McGreer, really good player. Like, every time you watch him, you're just like, yeah, this guy is just solid. Like, no, he's not elite, elite for the conference. But he is just technically, he's fantastic. Yeah. He rarely gets beat. They ask him to play left side, right side. He does it all. So, you know, very impressive player. He would have been the next guy on this list, I assume, for the voting. And a little disappointed for him that he didn't get it. But Playhouse... You know, and it's, well, it's interesting. Great too, it's interesting too to think that Playhouse taking it over his teammate in Thomas Rollins, who got hurt, but in the only in the last game, and uh, I think a fifth year, fourth or fifth year guy too. Yeah, you know, that's it, another one. I agree. I would have thought Rollins might have made second team because it was the it was the last game. I think he was injured in too, so he had uh, plenty of tape. Yeah, but Playhouse is such a tantalizing prospect, right? Like he's still you watch him play technique wise. He is a true mauler in the run game, incredibly physical, explosive, athletic. But his like his pass protection needs a lot of work. And obviously, he's a first-year offensive lineman. Like to have a first-year who is anything more than just minimally competent. Yeah. Excuse me, minimally competent is unusual. Yeah. And he was unusual in that respect. And you can use your just, you know, physical talents to become a mauler in the run game from day one i mean it doesn't take much skill to be able to say i'm gonna put a bucket on him i'm gonna put my hands on his chest plate i'm gonna drive pass pro is a much more nuanced skill than a lot of run blocking absolutely and particularly a tackle when a lot of times you are just one-on-one with that d end yes absolutely and and he will be the he's absolutely going to get there and i expect him to be a superstar you know, next year and the year after and the year after that, and then eventually, I he looks absolutely like a CFLer to me, like a like a like a high pick. And Zach Fry is the other rookie offensive tackle who you know could have been in this discussion. Not as physically 
not as maybe not as explosive, but like very agile, very quick, and a, a very nice player. Like you're splitting hairs between those two. So that's how the tackles shook out. The guards, uh, Dave Brown and Ben Koswara were the guards. Western and Waterloo. So Western and Waterloo dominating the first team tackles and guards. Dave Brown, obviously an All-Canadian tackle, moved to guard. So playing there on the right side predominantly this year, um, allowing Western to, to have Fry on the field and Giffen at tackle, at left tackle instead of right. Dave, you know, Dave's a fantastic player. So the fact that he can do this in multiple positions, I mean, that tells you what kind of player he is. Yeah. He's, he's, he's really good, and nobody, even though he only had a few games of film at guard, no one was missing uh, his contribution. And then Ben Koswara, Another fantastic player, fifth-year guy, came back from camp with the Bombers and was a huge part of that offense, obviously. The second-team guards, Greg Bouchard from Western, the left guard, star, great player, and Drew Desjardins. Drew Desjardins was amazing at Windsor. Now, these guys were all amazing. Drew Desjardins, man, he is good. And that offense was, I mean – not bad, but I, when he got back, you could see the way it picked up. Well, His it, missing games may have hurt him. Well, I mean, it was the, what surprised us from the jump with Windsor was how effective they were passing the ball, and that was without Desjardins in the lineup. And an improved running attack we saw towards the end of the season, similarly with Waterloo, uh, not to say I don't not that Windsor was on their level of how their uh, running game improved, but you know it's hard to deny that Desjardins in the lineup aided that running game tremendously. You know, it was night and day with him in and with him out. Same running backs all year long. Double D, though. Agreed. And if you talk to if you talk to offensive linemen, other offensive linemen in the conference, they'll tell you, like, when they watch Desjardins on film, like, wow, like the way he moves, the way he strikes, everything about his game yeah. is fun to watch. So another CFLer, like, there are a lot of CFLers on this list. Um, and, uh, you know, not saying any of the other guards – are less deserving than Desjardins. Just someone on a bad offense. When someone on a bad offense makes All-Star, that's when you know like that person has made a big impact. Yeah. Because otherwise, I mean, what other bad offenses have been represented so far? York with Kalinich and Hunchak. But that's it. I mean, of all the guys we've listed so far, really. So pretty impressive stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, first-team defensive tackles, maybe just a little bit surprising. Not that the players were, who were selected aren't good, they're great, Trayvon James and Tevin Bowen, but I guess just because there's so little clearance between these top four defensive tackles, the second two, uh, second teamers being Cam Lawson and Mitchell Stadnick, that, you know, sort of, I guess it's a bit of a preference and flavor. Yeah, you know, I, think Cam, Bowen, I, I, I think Bowen was locked in there pretty good on the first team. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was, he was a superstar for sure. Yeah. Um, Trayvon James was the first teamer last year, so you understand there's there is always a bit of a bias towards the incumbent first team all stars. Doesn't show up everywhere, but there is a bit of a bias there. Not again, not saying he doesn't deserve it. Just Cam Lawson from Queens was dominant, and so was Mitchell Stadnick from Western. So yeah. all deserving guys. Very little clearance among them, and uh, those are the four defensive tackles. Defensive end, Kenny Onyeka. Of course. Obviously, he wins the stand-up defensive line or defensive. <laughs> yeah. Wins the stand-up lineman award. Yeah. So clear cut. 
Uh, who would get the second of the first team? Less clear cut. They gave it to Rossini Sanjong Jabom. Your so, boy. Listen, I've been talking him up for a while. In terms of pure athlete at the position, he is the best. It's mm. not close, in my opinion. As good as these other guys are, and they are really good, the other two second teamers being Andrew Thurston and Robbie Smith. No slouches there. Either. No slouches there. <laughs> I mean, star players. Yeah. Uh, very, very impactful defensive end. Rossini is crazy. I cannot wait to see what he does at the combine. Mm. It's gonna. Uh, he's gonna blow the the roof off. I think. Yeah. Um. And his impact was enormous. I mean, he single handedly. I think single handedly, single handedly ish, <laughs> won them the Waterloo game. He was dominant. Tackles for a loss everywhere. Running stuff down from the backside that nobody else could do in this league. Mm. And um. And has really you know become a polished pass rusher. And I wasn't sure he was going to get there because you could tell he was very raw. He's getting there, and it's oh, dangerous. The next two, Andrew Thurston, Robbie Smith, obviously, you know, Thurston second in the league in sacks, yeah. has become a very polished pass rusher. The linebacker convert at Western, so good. I mean, just so nice to watch, right? He has all the tools in terms of his pass rush. It's, it's varied, it's dangerous, and big and physical. Great player. I mean, this is the second sort of linebacker converted to defensive end Western has had as, as an all-star in the last couple of years, the other being uh, my friend John Bewald and similar guy. I mean, I, you know, I could very well see Thurston in the CFL on, you know, running down on specials next year because smart, physical, and a uh, good player. Robbie Smith, maybe more hype than production this year clear-cut, legit CFL prospect. Yeah. He's got the tools. I don't know why he didn't have more sacks this year. Laurier, you know, as a team, didn't have their best year, but very good player. If anyone's sleeping on Robbie Smith, his career highlight tape started floating around across social media. Shouldn't be hard to find. Get your hands on it. Watch it. It is something spectacular. He's got... Yeah, he's got the tools to be a starting CFL defensive end. He's got... He's a lot like Kwaku Boateng. Kwaku might have been just a little bit more better as a pure defensive lineman. Robbie's mm. more of a pure pass rusher. But very similar guys. Obviously, Kwaku is the uh, the most outstanding Canadian for the Edmonton Eskimos. So, and was a fifth-round pick because he didn't run a great 40. So, <laughs> hopefully people will under will, will learn to discount broad numbers a little bit when they're yeah. underwhelming. And you have unbelievable tape. Robbie, I don't expect to have underwhelming numbers at all. I think he'll run a great 40. That's neither here nor there, though. Great player, worth watching, and well-deserving. Malcolm Campbell didn't make this list, but another guy who kind of falls into a similar category of uh, of him and Sanjong Jabam. Remarkable athlete, good player, bad team. So he'd probably be my fifth guy, I think. Um and you know, like Fred Robitaille, another Carlton guy who could have yeah. who could have been in consideration. He was a bit of a a gadget tweener. You know, he was playing some D tackle, some D end. Once he found, once he settled in at the end, dominant. So another guy who would be just short of the list here. The linebackers, not unexpected. The inside linebackers are Luke Coral and Jack Casser. You know, Coral led the conference in tackles, if yep. I'm not mistaken. And I think Casser was number two. Casser was number two. Great players. Yeah. Um. The second teamers, Daniel Metcalf and Phil Dion. Metcalf was a guy we thought might get left out because, again, not a great team. But mm. he was a really good player. Phil Dion, another really, really good player on a really good team. Such a problem inside. And, uh, 
You know, there, there are plenty of other linebackers who could be mentioned. Michael Moore at Western, I thought, played really well. Josh Walsh at at Carlton, Carlton, I thought yeah. played really well. Joe Brinehart at Guelph, I thought played really well. So mm. some guys who uh, were, you know, were were making impacts and just fell short. Sam linebacker positions: Fraser Sopic, no surprise. No surprise. Defensive MVP, second teamer Scott Hutter. I didn't know he. I thought he'd played some safety earlier in the year, so he kind of played around. He is a bit of a gadget guy. He's played Sam. He's played safety. I think he can play half. He's a really good player, worthy of uh, of the selection. Trevor Hoyt was another great. Uh, Sam Backer, Trevor Trevor Hoyt was fantastic. Yeah, didn't play every game though. I don't think. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, that I mean, and that's just one of those differentiating factors. Thomas Carrier at Ottawa, Ottawa, yeah. I thought was really good too. Um, there are there are plenty of good players at Sam Linebacker in this conference. Those two, not going to make a case against them as one and two. They're they're both very deserving. Yeah. Free safety, Danny Valente from Western. Yeah, so rangy, such a ball hawk. I mean, baller. Uh, didn't have maybe the numbers you would expect of a first-team free safety. Only a couple of interceptions, I think, maybe three, two. Great player, though. Hard to miss on film. Obviously a huge part of Western success. Second-teamer Luke Grease from Ottawa. Not shocking. No, another fan favorite here at the 55. Yeah, I know. We like watching Luke. The uh, old greasy grease. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's something, man. Nothing he, but love. Love it. And the halfbacks, we weren't sure on halves. Willa Moa from Laurier and Noah Hallett from McMaster are the first teamers. Brendan Murphy from Guelph and James McCallum from Carlton, the second teamers. Brendan Murphy, another rookie popping or, up on this list. A CJEP rookie. rookie. I mean, it, a rookie, but yeah. just it's it's not an asterisk to take anything away from him. No. Because no. he's also a second team all star yeah. as a rookie. So, you know. And one of the hardest hitting defensive backs in this league. I mean, up there with like a guy like Grease as well. He just he gets dirty. He puts his head down. Boom. I agree. He's, he's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. He really bangs. and. Uh, the first teamers, Willem Moe from Laurier and uh, Noah Hallett from McMaster. Noah Hallett was a guy who I, I was fairly certain on uh, would be in there. But these, these other guys, that, you know. You were going to see some representation from Max Secondary in this. So. You had to. I mean, yeah. he, he, he balled out this year. Willem Moe, yeah, a bunch of picks, I think. Yeah, I and, think he was uh, up there. You know, Malcolm Thompson was a guy who has been a first teamer in the past and is a, a star player. So someone I'm a little surprised to not see on the list. But, again, so many good players. Can't really take anything away from the guys on the list. Cornerbacks. Oh uh, god, this 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 duo gets me going so bad. Like just the thought of these two. <laughs> oh man, Jamie Harry and Bleska Kambamba, the one and two. <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> Such great players. Uh, I'm okay. You're okay. Okay. Yeah. You gotta stop smoking cigarettes. That cough. Oof. Oh boy. But uh, and then Jonathan Edward from Carlton and Tyrell Ford from Waterloo, the cornerbacks of the second team. No surprises there. Nope. These were the four sort of, in my opinion, clear cut best four. So. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I'm. I'm very much on board with that list. Yeah, and now moving into specials, the punter for the first team, Mark Leggio from Western. I'm with it. The leg. The second team punter, Nick Libertori from Queens. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not gonna pretend I know <laughs> everything about the the kicking the yeah. punting game. First team kicker, they gave it to Gabe Ferraro, and second team kicker to Leggio. Little surprising here. Ferraro, you know, wasn't leading the league and. He's had, be- he's had better years. He's had sure. better years. Yeah. A little bit of name value there. He's not a bad kicker. He's a good kicker. Yep. Just, I, I personally would have given it to my boy Leggio, but, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. And um, Pedro Cannon at Mac, obviously also a very good player. So just a few guys who were, you know, 
I, I'm not nuanced enough to really have a strong critique of the list, but I think yeah. I think Clark Green from Windsor, another guy who had a strong year kicking the ball, yeah. field goals. But yeah, no point really getting too deep into this. We don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the returners, uh, Curligans on the first team, no surprise nope. there. Keandre Smith from Guelph on the second team, a rookie. True rookie there. True rookie. Yeah. Very impressive. Yeah. The rush covers. Uh, the first team was Nikola Kalinic from York. Yeah. And the second team, A.J. Allen from Guelph. Very nice. Very nice. Very solid list. Um, and like I said, you can make debates at certain positions whether a guy should have been the first or second team, whether a guy who wasn't on the list should have made it on or not. Either way, these are this is a fantastic list of uh, young men, incredible athletes, the future of this league, the future of the CFL, and just overall, if you love Canadian football at any level, you know these guys are, are these are a list. This is an incredible list of names to just remember and keep your eye on, and just they 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 are what have made this year covering this league such a pleasure and so much fun. I, I assume I speak for both of us. You know these guys are just. And, of course, all their teammates, their coach has been such a pleasure doing what we've been doing this year. Uh, but the road doesn't stop here yet because the Vanier Cup's not over, uh, hasn't arrived yet. So we got our national semifinals, you know, set to go for this weekend. We got Laval. We got Santa Fex. Then we got Sask. We got Western. Who is it going to be in the Vanier? Will it be a rematch from last year? Will it be new contenders? I don't know. Any last words, Eddie? Nope, you'll find us here talking about it next week at the 55.